flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I get to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish. And every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move and it feels just like this, feels just like this, it's just, it's like, like who the donkey, we would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference, make assumptions, make nothing to another episode of The Debrief, I'm your host, Rana Joy Gray, and today I had another Brazil episode back to back, given some of the questions that came up. For the Glenn interview, I thought it might be good to do a deeper dive with the president of, or the, I don't know if you call him the president, <laughs> uh, the leader of uh, the Intercept Brazil, uh, Andrew Fishman, and Marco uh, Bronco Marchitech returning to the podcast. And we got into some more of the details of their 1618, <laughs> I guess. And, you know, it went into a place I didn't entirely expect, but which I really enjoyed, which was this kind of comparative law conversation about what it really means, uh, you know, to have something like the First Amendment that is a more comprehensive speech protection than other countries have. Um, and whether or not the power that we project onto it is really protecting us in the way that we think it is, uh, whether or not countries that don't have those protections are better or worse off than us, whether it's possible for us as Americans, who I think we're all pretty committed to it, especially in this group to even really conceptualize of what it would mean not to have those protections, how, how certain phrases that Andrew was bringing up, like, you know, racism is illegal. Hate speech is illegal kind of resonate in our ears and whether or not there's some small part of us that wishes that it could be that easy to, you know, stop someone from projecting a swastika on the side of a building because it just wouldn't be allowed and what we'd be giving up if that sort of thing actually happened. Whether or not as Americans who have never really had any true um, issue with the turnover of power, the transfer of power or military coup or anything like it, or even a, a war on our own soil, 
whether or not we're kind of flippant about these things and it'll be too late when fascism comes. I mean, that's what a lot of people argue. That's the kind of thing that Talia Levin argued when she was on the podcast. So let's open it up. Let's have this conversation. Let's start with you, Chris. I will be jumping around tonight. So don't despair if you're in the back. How are you feeling, Chris? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Why are you quiet? Oh, because I have you turned down. This should be better. Okay. Uh, I was like, am I quiet? Yeah, I think I didn't have all my dials up, but I think it's a little bit better now. What's on your mind? Um, Actually, what was on my mind was uh, the ep- couple of ep- uh, the episodes of uh, Rising. Um, sure. Yeah, um, I thought you guys had a really good conversation. I know a couple of weeks, uh, I think maybe it was a couple of weeks back, you guys had like a conversation about like the manosphere and everything when uh, Andrew Tate got locked up and everything. Mm-hmm. But I thought um, with uh, Voss, that's how you say it, Vosh? apparently i wasn't saying it right so i don't know if i'm the right person to ask okay all right well the guy with the v in his name um Mm. yeah um um, i thought you guys had like a really really good conversation as far as like what is happening with uh men and then um just going on and why a bunch of young men are kind of flocking to these these guys who are just like trying to perpetuate everything that's about like uh what they perceive as like masculinity and everything like that and how are how are these young kids getting, honestly, I, in my personal opinion, getting duped and getting a lot of, honestly, I think bad advice when it comes to, I guess, trying to how to navigate through this new world. Mm-hmm. And I know the part that uh, Voss was talking about, I thought was like very important. Well, I think is a huge piece of it is I think the Internet is definitely playing some kind of role into it. Like the idea that the Internet is where there's a, you, um, they can kind of find like something outside of their norm, their actual normal lives. So they can kind of recreate themselves on the Internet so they can be a little bit more tougher, a little bit more rude, a little bit more ignorant mm-hmm. or anything like that, as opposed to what they actually are in, um, in actual life. And I know you said like one of the things that you think would work. Well, obviously, what can the left uh, do? Because obviously the, a lot the Jordan Petersons, the Andrew Tates are a little bit more on the right side. And um, I think um, you were kind of right on the button is like we have to talk, I think, more so economics, because I think that's a huge part of what's driving this whole conversation. A lot of men just don't feel secure or don't know how they are going to move around in life, especially now, since it's a lot harder, you know, obviously obtaining what we what we once had was the American dream and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a huge, I think that's a huge part in it. Like, obviously the opportunities are going down. If you haven't gotten a house now, well, you might be shit out of luck unless you <laughs> really got it like that. You're pretty much shit out of luck for <laughs> until things change. I don't know if it will or if it won't though, but yeah. So it's, I think it's a lot of just young men trying to find their place in the world. And unfortunately they're flaunt, they're, they're, they're going to guys like Andrew Tate. And then also I think it's a lot of uh, contempt. A lot of these men, uh, these young kids or boys will have, they have towards women. I think it's a huge part of it is them. They're just not getting laid like how they do or how they think they should be getting laid. (laughs) I think that's, and that's a huge thing about it. So then obviously with these people like Andrew Tate, what they do is, you know, they talk about masculinity, what they should do, how the world should work and everything like that. And then they give them an enemy. The enemy is feminism. The enemy is women. It's the LGBTQ. It's all these things that are stopping you from being a man. And if they just wasn't here or if we just got that under control, then you would be able to threaten. And it's it's sad, but I think that's kind of So why do you think, I mean, so this came up on today's um, discussion with Bosch. And I, 
I asked him this, you know, why do you think it is that most of these folks who have reached out to and really targeted these disaffected young men are on the right? Do you think it's just like there's more of a concerted project that's well-funded on the right and, you know, these people identified a hole and they, they targeted folks toward it? Or do you think it's more organic and that for some reason, you know, you know, like what is the reason that there haven't been more left-leaning figures who can speak to these issues. There's something about the void that is better filled by conservatism than progressivism. So I think what it is, and I think what um, one, these men have kind of honed in on this base though, but I think the left doesn't really give them that opportunity. Like when you really look at the left and everything, it's obviously, you know, we're more, the left is very more geared towards like, um, well, I will not say more geared towards though, but a lot of the voices and everything you hear from the left, it's about obviously like disenfranchisement, uh, people who have like no power and things like that. So when you hear like conversations or things that are happening with men, what happens on the left is a lot of times it's, it's silenced or it's not really treated with any kind of appreciation. So it's not like they're not really catered to, I think it's particularly men, but I will also say particularly white men. That's not, you, you see a, a white man who literally had in, in, the, in the left circle, if a white man wants to make any kind of comment about any kind of race or any, anything of like that kind of stuff, he has to mm-hmm. announce that he's a white man. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so and I think, think that's like a part of it. You think the whole kind of um, the left's tendency to want to call out racism and bigotry and not be tolerant of sexism and stuff like that basically creates an inhospitable environment for folks who are not in a good place right now, but could be worked toward a better place? Um, I don't think it's it's because I don't think the left is making it inhospitable. But I do think if like there's not really allowance of like a difference of opinion or a male's opinion, you kind of see it in all the conversation. Like, let's just say there's a conversation that's going on and uh, they're talking about like some of the struggles that black women go through. If black men, if a black man comes in and just says or gives his two cents, that's not agreeing to that. What's the first thing that happens? Well, you're a man. I think, you know, the kind of conversations mm-hmm. that's happening right now between black men and black women, mm-hmm. they're put against each other. And then it's like, well, you know, what you hear from what, what black women will say was, well, we got it 10 times harder than you. Then it becomes the whole oppression Olympics. Mm-hmm. I think the same kind of thing kind of happens towards a lot of white men where they feel as though their opinion isn't necessarily catered to valued or even considered. Again, I think it's more so they see it on the left because how many times they can just jump into a conversation and maybe it's a difference of an opinion or maybe it's just adding, trying to add something to it. And then it's like they get hit with a direct bullet of white man, you can't tell me what anything because you're a white man or just men in general. And I think the left doesn't necessarily cater to, I think a lot of these men's needs, because I think a lot of these men are honestly, they're sad, they're depressed, but where do they go? Now, obviously I don't, like I said, that's not to always put that on the left because I don't think the left, it's not intentional that I think the left is trying to uh, disregard like men's opinions and feelings and things like Mm -hmm. that but i do think when it happens into this kind of this like culture war thing of going back and forth it always gets kind of like put towards each other and they kind of clash these two identities kind of clash and then that's what happens so then on the right they basically it's like no man you're not crazy because you think such and such and such or no well this is how it used to be back in the day or they give some weird bozo 
back in the day uh, Neanderthal thing of how society mm-hmm. used to make more evolutionary made, biology like, discourse. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. It's all it always leads to shit like that. So yeah. I, I think I kind of think that's a huge part of what it is. It's like they find those people because those people aren't telling them that they suck or that they they're, they're bad people because they have whatever like I say it could be a difference of an opinion it could be just or, or it just they're not just completely shut off of their 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 processes or when how they think and all the things that are that they want to talk about or need to be catered to i guess do you think politics can get in the way of the personal sometimes i mean you know I, maybe i do think x y and z person sucks you know yeah but in, in real in real life if and you think sucks by the way i just want to put that out there sorry yeah, this is Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate is too far gone. I am yeah. not in the you business suck. of saving Andrew Tate. Um, but if a if a normal person, I mean, people I know in my real life are deep, you know, deeply flawed as we all are, mm-hmm. came up to me with their issues. I've got one friend who I love to death from college who is problematic as hell, and he's like, <laughs> he's a Southern black guy, and he is like very genteel and like chivalrous on one level, but he has very like traditional gender norms Mm. and kind of grew into himself after being kind of a nerd and not getting a lot of action in college. Yeah, And now because of his profession and his earning potential and stuff kind of pulls rank and I don't love that, you know, but Mm. like, it's just this weird, like he's my friend and in real life, I know him to be a compassionate, hilarious you know, kind person. I just don't think that some of the women who date him have that perspective. And I, you know, it's like, we'd have these conversations and I'm so much more patient with him and so much more accepting of him than I am the kind of like abstract version of him that exists on the internet. Um, Mm. He's to be clear, nothing. He's no, I mean, he's not an agitator. I mean, he's just a little bit of a regressive Southern guy, but you know, like, you know, I, I, sometimes I do think that the left, because we kind of foreground the principles and not always the human beings that are supposed to be the driving force of our beliefs, we can mm-hmm. get to a place where we approach people as avatars of the thing we're supposed to be against as opposed to vessels um, that can contain different things through our relationships. Agree. Agree. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I agree. And then like a lot of those things, like, um, like what you will hear from them or what, what, what some of the side will say, it's like, it's the demonization of man and masculinity. And I like, for me personally, I guess, as someone on the left, I don't think it's a demonization of masculinity. However, I can see sometimes how like those conversations can turn or just like things that are natural that I personally feel like naturally, like men like, or men will do. It's like turned against them and made them feel some way. Like, I know it's like this weird thing now that like somehow like anything that guys like, like is like somehow rooted in like homosexuality and gayness. This is more mm-hmm. so in the black circles and everything like that. Like, it'll be mm-hmm. weird. Like a man who needs two girlfriends is gay. It's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And it is like, it, in a lot of <laughs> like on, I'll say in those terrible black Twitter spheres and stuff like that, that I happen to, still get algorithmically put in mm-hmm. uh you see a lot of things like that so then it's like oh well you know or a man a man having uh, a man wanting to hang out with his boys or play video games with his boys on the weekend is gay or you know it, it, it's a lot of that kind of like toxicity kind of stuff it's just like attacking which i guess you would define as what is masculinity and what is actually masculinity and honestly i think a lot of us don't really 
know or because we have to admit that there are some parts of masculinity that aren't really good not that and aren't necessarily really helpful for us as a society like uh, you're talking about your friend i mean we i think we all got a friend like that like i got a mm-hmm. friend he's a, he's a straight dog though but i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't say his worth is based on how he is in relationships because i know like there's there's way more to this person than just this one aspect of him and everything mm-hmm. and I think when we're off the internet, we can kind of acknowledge those things because a lot of people who talk about that kind of stuff have these men or these, you know, these people in their lives and they see the humanity in them. But then, like you said, when you see the avatar and you see the straight up ignorant opinion or the just the or just what you view as something that is bad, you then just try to go to war with it. Yeah, I was even thinking about a little bit about Vouch today. I mean, I'm not that familiar with his work, but I am aware of the fact that he has done a number of anti-me videos. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't choose to book him, but I heard that he was booked and, you know, I thought this mm-hmm. could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was reflecting on the context of the interview where I was the host and I had a responsibility to be hospitable, <laughs> for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. And the position he was in, knowing the things that he has said about me and and acting as though that history doesn't exist. And I know uh-huh. that he has come under scrutiny. <laughs> Notice that too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's come under scrutiny for his the, some comments that he has made about women and the irony mm-hmm. of him being asked to talk about all of this. The, yeah. the whole thing was very interesting to me. And, it, you know, it forced me to confront before I just thought of him as some guy who doesn't like me on the Internet to the extent mm-hmm. I thought about him at all. And now it's. You know, in that moment, I was thinking, hmm, well, actually, who is this person? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing um, being face to face, and the Internet strips us of that so often. Hey, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's multi-layered. It is multi-layered because, like, I don't think, like, um, like the word, like the ident- like uh, toxic masculinity, like in like the framing of that, like, yeah, it could be weaponized and used against like men in like a really bad way though but there are some stuff that i think we as men have to admit that we grew up on like i don't know how old you are but i remember the basement parties i remember like you know you go in the basement you try to get a girl dance with her you don't ask her to dance you just kind of put your junk on her back and she dance with you then it's cool and if it's not it's not no one ever mm-hmm. taught you know things like that aren't necessarily well i can well i won't speak for i, I didn't know there me, was a name for life. that i just thought it was called college Oh, you thought it was co- really that's college? <laughs> I, that was middle school for me, so that's why I was like, "How old are you?" <laughs> I am thirty-two. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm thirty-seven. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> middle school for yeah, you yeah, is yeah. freshman year for me. Yeah, freshman year for you. Yeah, so that was high school for you, but yeah, that's kind of like that was like no, no, college. no. It was not high school for me. There were no parties in high school. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> oh, 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 I keep I'm like, I keep forgetting you said you was a square when you was a kid. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like um, I think, like I said, that is a part of that. I think we have to, I will say as far as like men go, like um, something we have to kind of acknowledge and we have to kind of deal with because a lot of what we were taught on how to approach women, how to talk, how to talk to women and things like that. It, let's just say we, I, I can, I'm only going to speak for myself. Didn't always get the greatest advice. Now, since you know, looking at it through an older lens now, and as opposed to what I was as a kid, so it's it, it, it's it's a lot of things in my personal opinion. I do think there's some growing up, and I do think, but also I do think like men in general. Um, I just think they're just struggling right now, and I think you're kind of seeing. It. And I don't think the internet necessarily helps it helps the situation, especially when you can you have 
XYZ avatar. She has pink hair and glasses and she's telling you you're the worst thing that ever lived on the face of the earth because you believed uh you believe you believe that uh whatever. I insert whatever toxic thing you think you think and then that person, you know, that's kind of like microphone in this kind of like chasm of things, especially with the algorithms and stuff to where that's constantly being feeded to you. And then it's also, it's just a lot of these men just aren't getting laid. And like I said, it's a lot of contempt. Like I think the Kevin Samuels stuff and a huge part of that, most of those men just are men who have a lot of contempt for women and they, they go to this so they can see unreasonable women getting asked, I guess what you would consider reasonable questions. And they just having like this, this very high standard for themselves and then had then have this man just like completely come in and just shit on you just absolutely shit on you and it just feeds it and everything like that so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well look i appreciate you calling in chris let's get some um let's get uh let's see if i can get a woman in the chat and weigh in uh, you guys uh, have to good start can i get one more thing in sure Oh yeah, um, I have to make an announcement. I have to apologize to Carol Baskins. Um, I literally <laughs> thought she killed her husband. Apparently, uh, she well, didn't. <laughs> apparently, the story about her husband being alive is fake. So don't apologize. Oh, oh yet. my God, I'm duped. Oh my God. Oh, okay. So I'm not too bad person because I, I was like, there's no way he's alive. And then it was like, no, he was in Costa Rica and everything. But if it's fake, it's fake. Okay, all right, I'm out. Of here. <laughs> well, we'll see. All we'll right. see if anything comes of it. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. All right, keep the faith, Chris. Yeah. All right. This is a lady light session. Let's see, Dina. What's in your mind? Oh, oh, there you go. Can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind? Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I have some quick good news that I just wanted to share. Um, I don't know if you remember me talking about how um at my job i work at a legal aid organization in new york um Mm -hmm. and we were we are in the middle of contract negotiations and they were kind of breaking down um so we did have a strike authorization vote um and we got the results last night and it was 93% 93% turnout with 92% voting yes to authorize the strike, um, which That's is amazing. I know <laughs> it is amazing. Um, and so now the next step is, um, well, the bargaining committee is going to use that as leverage um, to see if management will move um, because of this. Um, so, yeah, it's just really exciting. Um, I'll call in again. Um, we have the next bargaining session is next Wednesday. Um, so we're going to be doing our plan is to have like people, everybody come to the bargaining session itself, like an mm-hmm. open bargaining session. Um, yeah, so that'll be really interesting. Um, Congratulations. Wait a minute. Yeah. Let, me my, let me get my sound effects together. Like, I'm slacking on my job. <laughs> Thank you for dropping some good news in the chat, Dina. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so excited. It's, it's, um, those are incredible numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was on the contract, ac- I'm on the contract action team. So we were doing like the get out the vote 
kind of stuff. Mm. Um, Why do you think you were able to be so effective? um, Well, I think, first of all, um, what management is trying to do is so bad. Um, Specifically, the biggest thing is our health insurance premiums. Mm. Um, So... Right now, I pay. We pay like a fixed amount every month, mm-hmm. um, and what they want us to do is pay a, a percentage of the premium, mm-hmm. which means and the premium can go up whenever, mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Um, so that means that for health insurance costs, um, so that's really the the big one um, that I think is just so unaccepted. Like people just are not going to accept. We don't make very much money anyway. And so like, that's just so unacceptable for all of us. Yeah. Um, I also think just like we're overwhelmingly young and like, um, I mean, even when the, the initial union election, which was in 2019, I think only four people voted against forming the union. Mm. Um, So I think that's always been like people have been pretty united on that. Um, And yeah, I mean, also like the three biggest issues were the first, the health insurance, Mm -hmm. then the the salary increases they're trying to give us um, are like one to three percent. and like the last time the last bargaining session management had moved like 0.25% from the last one. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then the other thing is workload. Um, So I'm in the, the largest unit in the organization is the one I work in, which is the tenant rights union unit. Um, Mm -hmm. And our caseloads are just crazy. Um, and um and because it's like the it's kind of complicated it's like non-profit kind of stuff um but yeah it's it's really exciting um and i'll let you know what happened <laughs> please do please keep us updated we're all yeah. invested now we're, we're, we're all in, we're all in this yeah together i mean now, if Dina. we if we go on strike we'll probably have a strike fund um so that would be good to get support from this community as well. Um, Absolutely. Please, please do keep us all posted. I'll, I'll be looking for you in the chat, Dina. Yeah. And thanks for the support. All right. Keep the faith. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to keep, sure. we need to, you need to be telling us to keep the faith. You're the one leading the charge here. Yeah. Thanks, Dina. Yeah. Take care. All right. Take care. Uh, okay. Coming back to the front of the line, Peter, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, Peter, you sound like you're so far away. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so, can you hear me? Hello. I can hear you. You're, you're a little on the quiet side, but I can hear you. I wish I knew what to do about that. Um, okay, I'll try to talk loud like a man. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> like a man. Um, it, sometimes if people use are using like headphones and stuff, like wireless, that can cause it to be quiet, but it's fine. What, what's on your mind tonight? So, so what is on my mind? So, especially I was interested in racism. Let's talk about racism. Okay. Um, so the question you asked, should racism be illegal? I guess, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. So 
what do you mean by the question and how are we going to define it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, let's, let's talk about racism. Well, it's something that came up on the podcast. Andrew was talking about the different kind of speech standards that exist in Brazil mm-hmm. and, you know, said that racism is illegal. Um, right. Our, I guess... yeah, yeah. I caught a little bit of it this morning. I was kind of yeah, half and half. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny to be in a position where someone's saying something like that to you and you obviously think that racism is wrong, but to have this instinct to object. And right. I thought that was an interesting dissonance that I experienced. Yeah. Should, it, should yeah. racism be illegal? And you think about a country like Brazil that has its own pretty significant racial problems mm-hmm. and caste hierarchies and um, the largest slave population, second largest or largest mm-hmm. after us, before us, I can't remember, but mm-hmm. it's right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but who Afro-Brazilians almost never get seen anywhere, mm-hmm. blah, 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 all the things we know. And, right. then, and then I think, well, does it, is it really making a difference that racism is illegal in Brazil? So what, does they, that, what, what does that mean? Like, so does that mean discourse, like, like rhetoric and discourse, or does that mean the legacy and the actual structural things? Obviously, maybe both. Or like, yeah, what, what do we mean? I, I'm not like, sure. Would, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I'm trying to just wrap my head around what it could mean I, to say racism. I, I presume is it means it's illegal to say racist things on right. social media, et cetera, right. without getting right. them taken down. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some kind of – I don't think – it's probably not a jail – sentence but it's probably right. like liable or something but like, like that right. those kinds like, of so penalties like attached right, so like like swastikas in germany like that kind of thing or mm-hmm. like so yeah so like or i i guess even maybe yeah, like identifying as a racist might be you know illegal or something like that there we go unhcr like, racism and xenoph- racism and xenophobia according to unhcr in brazil racism uh-huh. is a serious crime with strict penalties under brazilian law a person that has been charged with this crime can spend up to five years in prison the law in 7.716 describes the fo- following cases of discrimination. Preventing qualified persons to take positions in the public service or in private companies based on discrimination on their race, color, or religion. Okay. Refusing to provide service to people in commercial establishments. Prohibiting to enroll children in schools. Preventing black people from entering restaurants, bars, or public buildings or use public transport. The okay. Brazilian Criminal Code also foresees penalty to people who insult others under racial grounds. A racial insult is defined uh-huh. as an offense to the honor of someone using elements of race, color, ethnicity, religion, or country of origin. Racial insult is directed against a specific person, while the crime of racism is directed at a collectivity. If you eventually become a victim of it, you should immediately report it to authorities. And then there's wow. a bunch of links. <laughs> so that's what it means. See, that sounds crazy to me. That's a, like you can't say a racist thing to someone and that's illegal? <sighs> Um, it's so weird. I mean, I guess to me personally, like obviously having been victim of having racist things said to me, I think harassment and making somebody fear for their physical safety maybe should be illegal, right? Intimidation. And that takes a variety of forms. And that's one thing, right? Sort of making somebody feel unsafe, but sort of saying a racist thing per se being illegal, that seems kind of weird to me. Is it weird to you that it's weird to you? Um, that's a <laughs> that's a good question. Um, is it weird? To, I mean, so when I think about when I have been the victim of 
you know, racist rhetoric and taunts and whatnot. I mean, yes, like the racism aspect of it itself, right? The issue that deals with blackness or whatever, like, yeah, that's degrading and it's humiliating and all of that. But so then the question is, right, is, is, is humiliating people illegal? Is degrading people illegal? Like that's, that to me is the sort of crime and the particular, you know, the obviously manifestation of it in that case is racist, but is it any different from homophobic or misogynist or whatever, right? So in other words, the issue to me is, are we, can we and should we legislate to protect people? Yeah, essentially people's feelings. Essentially the question for me is like, well, it wasn't yeah. just feelings, right? There were a lot of those things on the list that were oh, no, no, those other ones. No, no, economics, no. the right to yeah, yeah, yeah. frequent restaurants, of right course. to get a job without discrimination. Of course, that's separate. That's right. That's, I guess, the distinction I'm making, right, between verbal harassment or, or just words or, right, and being, I mean, mean, just being mean to somebody, like, in a random context versus, right, limiting somebody's those things back. are illegal in America, too. I mean, we don't right. think of it that way, but it's illegal to deny someone from a restaurant or establishment on the basis of their race. Right. That's normal. That's normal. But then when we get into like, you can't call somebody racist names is my point, right? That to me is a different thing. It feels like a different thing. It feels, you know what I mean? Cause it feels like the issue again, it's like, yeah, like that's a general issue of harassment and it's, you know, it's race being used to harass me. But in the end, the real issue that for me is that I'm feeling scared, right? You're, you're, I'm being made to feel a sense of sort of imminent danger, right? Well, you know, um, not everybody's feeling danger. There are all these videos of people trying to like, there was just this one circling on the internet of this, there was like a, a delivery driver mm-hmm. uh, in his car filming and this rich man, this white man in front of a <laughs> affluent looking house with a gate mm-hmm. and his dog uh, was shouting the N-word at him repeatedly. Did you see this one? It was all over. I did not. No, no. I haven't Social media the last couple of days. And um, the black guy didn't seem especially pressed. You know, it wasn't like he was afraid of this white guy. You know, mm-hmm. you know what was he going to do? But, you know, there was a video of a... I just watched some... A video of a, a college student. Call some black college student the n-word and the college, black college student just took care of it <laughs> sorry uh, i'm not endorsing violence blah, blah, blah. but they, you know like they weren't scared they just took care right. of it you know right 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 right, right. <laughs> so you know i don't think it's necessarily about that so what is it about? So like, so if we're going to ban, let's say, I don't know, racist discourse on the internet or whatever, like, is it about the instance itself then of the racial or racist insults? Or is it because the rhetoric is contributing to this larger project of racism, which then leads to these other structural, like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the, what's the harm necessarily? Um well, the harm but, is, like, you know, as we discussed in, this, in the episode, there's this instance that's happening right now where some white supremacist group is projecting an image of a swastika and a cross entwined on the side of a building. It might be a building of some significance, like a synagogue or something like that. Right. And you know, you can think of you can you can think of a situation like that and say, hey. I wish there was something you could do about someone projecting a hate symbol on the side of my building. Sure. Um, but there isn't. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, you know, does how significant is that? 
like, do I mean, we want thing, yeah. to be able to do that? Because we also are trying to turn around and project Black Lives Matter on the side of some building right. and be happy that nobody can say anything about it. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. I guess. I guess I'd like to be able to figure out how to sort of uh, what identify specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Intimidation, making people feel afraid, and that that should be illegal but that the discourse itself isn't necessary. You know what I mean? So when it is used in such a way as to ma- as to terrify somebody, then that's an issue of, yeah, intimidation, harassment, terrorism, or whatever. And But that, of course, is hard. Yeah, I, I know. It's hard, it's hard to prove, and it's very slippery. And that's yeah. why, yeah. I mean, the American yeah. perspective is that since we don't want anybody, government officials or whomever, in the position of having to decide what constitutes bad speech and what constitutes good speech, we're just going to say hands off for the most part, except for pretty obvious instances in which people are um, making threats or there's imminent danger, threat of violence. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've ended up. And I think we're all kind of comfortable with that. But when confronted with alternate ways of living where people still seem pretty free, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, 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 I, I do think that at the same time that there are good reasons to have it set up the way we have it set up, Sometimes we over ascribe our freedoms to things like the First Amendment. Right, 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 right. That that's yeah. But for that, we would we would be and, and, we would be living in a gulag or something. And the other way around, right? Because Andrew was saying, well, you know, we've had a real military coup, and you know, the the insurrection feels more serious when you only just you know, 30, 40 years ago, got out of the last military dictatorship. Um, And, you know, when you've lived through it and you see people calling for it again, you do want to punish speech calling for um, a military coup. The the military is just looking for an excuse and looking for public support to go ahead and do that and and genuinely overthrow the democracy, not in this kind of rhetorical way that we talk about in the United States. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to that that interest but isn't it the case that the last time you had this this military coup you still had these restrictive speech laws and they didn't seem to stop you from having that coup back in the 80s and you didn't have social media to contend with so is your is it really the case that having restrictive speech is helping you be the country that you are and aspire to be and is it true that our more our less restrictive speech rules are actually why america is the way it is and the ways that we're proud of yeah, that's a really hard thing to kind of quantify, is it? To actually really prove any kind of causal relationship between that thing and then outcomes. So in the end, maybe it really is just a question of, you know, um, dogma or principle or, you know, ideology or whatever you want to say. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know either, but I appreciate you trying to mood it with me. And let's get some more people, let's get some more <laughs> Thanks, people in here. Free. Thanks, Peter. Keep the Keep faith. The faith. All right, Jonathan, what do you think about all of this? Ah, I thought you were going to hop around. Oh, I thought it was going back. Oh, sorry, was the last color from the front? I thought it was going front, around, front, around. But I guess you're right, I did two fronts. I'll, go, I'll do two from the from the depths next round. That's all right. I thought I had time to stop and get tacos, but I, I can get here back I am to back you, in my car. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm perfectly fine like this. Uh, I did want to say, firstly, uh, you know, some great content on the rising the last couple of days. Although I think today you may have broken Robbie. He he seemed to glitch. <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, there, the contradictions in his brain were 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 going back and forth in the first two segments. 
I think, because, uh, like, obviously, these, like, the Davos stuff and a lot of these rich elites controlling things, he doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. But he also doesn't like the solution. And mm-hmm. he seemed to be going back and forth and going in circles. And I'm like, uh-oh, we broke Robbie. Poor Robbie. That's the, that's the thing about a kind of, with all due respect, faux populism, is that at a certain point, you're like, rich people are terrible and I hate them and blah, damn the rich. And then you're like, okay, well, let's start taking some stuff from them. <laughs> let's limit their power. And suddenly the response is, oh, no, anyway, but that way. <laughs> right. And that's like, I think that was the point you were raising about uh, in your radar, actually, uh, about uh, Tucker Carlson's populism, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was was spot on. Like, I mean, it was just it was just great content. Um you know, you. that and the first segment too. The like the Davos segment. I thought you did a marvelous job on that too. Thank you. So. I, I I appreciate that. It was it felt you know, Robbie and I are getting to know each other and I don't want you know, I don't want to feel like I'm hempecking him a hundred percent of the time. But, you know, it feels like we're getting to a point where we can just can we just like have an honest conversation with each other um on on the air and it felt um it felt like we were, we're inching closer to those those tipping points today in a way that feels constructive, at least on my end. I don't know how he feels. Yeah, confronting contradictions is important to that. Confronting yeah. contradictions is important. And uh, also, like, the episode today was fabulous. Again, like I've said before, like, I'm glad uh, you you had Branko on. I do feel like he, he doesn't really get enough credit, but one of the reasons that I was drawn to him from the get-go, even right before he published his book, which was fabulous, uh, on Biden, Yesterday's Man, um, that, like, he would write articles saying things like what he said on there, which has kind of been like a pet theory, a pet issue of mine ages, which is that a lot of the, the crazy, the political unrest, uh, even, you know, the conspiracy theories like QAnon, are on the rise largely because of, um, you know, the, the failure of institutions and government and things like that and what that does to people psychologically. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, he was, he was particularly focused on, on that as, as the primary issue more than, you know, basically you could punish all the speech in the world, but it's not going to stop these things from happening. And these, you know, this kind of unrest, this, um, you know, the fear, the existential crisis in, in these people's minds um, and the un- because it, it doesn't really address the untenability of, of what they see happening around them. It mm-hmm. doesn't really address the, you know, their the fear that they have to experience knowing uh, things like um, when COVID happens, there's nobody coming to save them mm-hmm. and they're on their own or, you know, when the government needs to do something to stop large numbers of people from, you know, starving to death and being homeless during a recession or, you know, dealing with um, internal problems or even maintaining basic infrastructure in a lot of cases. Uh, They can't count on the government to do that either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they see all of these, you know, elites being serviced and interpret it in different, sometimes warped and crazy ways. But, um, they're they're reacting to to that, and until you address that, you could have Glenn's version of free speech, or you could have the Brazilian's version of free speech. I personally prefer. I lean more towards Glenn's, but I'm not quite as extreme as he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
and you know some some of the stuff that the editor of the intercept was saying about life in brazil and being able to be prosecuted for saying all these little things and having to adjudicate it in court and the way courts are used the same way over there that they are mm -hmm. over here and if you don't have the privilege and the wealth to fight it then you're a victim of it mm -hmm. uh, that's a problem like, yeah that's I mean, a it problem. Was funny he didn't seem to like see yeah, even even as he was describing how he and his institution were victimized by the constraints on speech in Brazil, he still saw them as a necessary safeguard from kind of the p political terrorism or the threat of like right wing political violence. And it, it was it's, it was it was fascinating to me. It almost says, you know, how I think um, deeply felt and sincere his fear is of the kind of you know, coups and, and, the, and potential political violence that he even even given that he was one of the primary victims of a limited speech, a, a, a limited speech freedoms that he was still willing to live with that as a as a as a stopgap measure, you know, and as a compromise. Yeah, and these things don't necessarily have easy answers. And I mean, even if you look at the, you know, for us history nerds, like if you look at the history of, of say, the Bolshevik Revolution and what happened after that, or the French Revolution and those various purges, it's not, you know, people, uh, you know, certainly uh, dislike and it's considered, you know, atrocities what happened with all these purges and things like that. But also, when you go through the history, you see they weren't entirely just being paranoid. Like there really were uh, these elements in there that that were hell bent on a coup or a counter revolution, or you know bringing back in the case of the French, uh, you know bringing back the monarchy or uh, overthrowing the current government and things like that. You had that when you had that kind of instability. There's not an easy solution to it. And the situation he was describing in Brazil, where the right-wing military is very much still there, intact, mm -hmm. still right-wing. And basically, what are you going to do? Purge all the security forces and replace them with new untrained people? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, what can you do? Yeah. But, yeah, I yeah, I mean, it's so it's a tricky situation. And I don't necessarily blame them for that. But I I do think they, they uh, seem to invest too much security or, you know, too much confidence in these laws and speech measures which you know are clearly in many cases being abused i don't think glenn is you know from what i heard from from andrew like glenn is not exaggerating about that like they have the power to do these things and they're doing them and they're kind of ominous looking yeah i i think so this is the argument you know whatever you want to make of it i think the argument is that brazil is not america just like England is not America, Sweden is not America, Australia is in America, New Zealand is in America. And those are all places that we think there are, you know, decent levels of democracy, freedom, whatever you want to call it. And they don't have no one. No one busts into, you know, England like the Kool-Aid man and demands they have the same kind of liable standards and First Amendment standards as us. They're just a different country. And so there's a, something that I think the argument against Glenn is that it's kind of weirdly just American and, 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 and dissonant to have a certain expectation for how another country should be operating. That's just not what their constitution demands. And you can want it to be different. Like I can sit here and I can critique the legal systems in other countries and I 
very well could if I could remember a single thing about the legal systems of other countries. But, you know, it's just it, it, to, to judge those rulers by American standards and imply that they are like suppressing speech when they're just following the law of, that their country has agreed to feels and to some people like Glenn is intentionally applying an American standard to Brazil so that it can so that he can frame the left as the um, more authoritarian party. And then the default becomes that the right is the better alternative. If you don't sufficiently clarify that the right is also better, that the issue here isn't that Lula's government is doing a thing. It's just that the Supreme Court is doing a thing and that has nothing to do with Lula. They're just following their constitution. But I think that's I think that's the I'm just trying to steel man the argument against Glenn. That's how, what I understand it to be. Yeah, I think he did a pretty good job of, of explaining that that's not how he meant it. But, uh, you know, the, I, the truth may, like, again, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, what, what Glenn is, is, uh, proposing they, they don't do or do is necessarily going to solve the problem either. I think Branko is, is kind of, of right about that. There's an underlying problem that doesn't have a single easy magic bullet solution that they're, they're going to have to address over time, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, I, I don't know. Like that's, uh, I guess I'm more comfortable living in the, I don't know than most people, but like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I like, it was very interesting and educational, but I don't think it necessarily resolved anything, any big ethical dilemmas just cause like, there's no easy answer to this stuff. Yeah, there isn't. I, I was surprised by how, I mean, not that I am, you know, changed my mind about, my feelings about this value of speech in our in our national context, but you know, I I know that some people have found Andrew to be, you know, not relatable in the least, or his opinion relatable in the least. But I, I, as I as I disagreed with him, I still found him where he was coming from to be completely understandable. And I got to say, as someone who has grown up in other kind of contexts and lived in the global south. I do sometimes think that Americans talk in a way that feels a little naive and that's not to say they're wrong, but I do think that people's opinions about stuff would likely change in a, with a quickness if they were exposed to the brutishness of life in other places. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, uh, I've even seen that myself. It even comes across as, as very patronizing, uh, because they they make certain assumptions and they don't bother to uh, listen to locals about the the necessary context. And I do think that what Andrew had to say about the context and, you know, the reminder that there it's not not too distant past, at least from my perspective. I'm pretty close in age to you. I'm a little bit older, like, but, you know, I just turned 42 on the 11th. So oh, I remember birthday. the 80s. Capricorn. Thank you. Yeah. And although I think my horoscope is broken, I tried that app you said, and it, it said things that were like definitely the opposite of me. But wait, wait, wait! Um, did you did you do your birth time and everything properly? I think so. Okay. My mom always told me I was born around two a.m. So did you put the exact time in though? Did you? I just put in two a.m. Okay, you need to look at your birth certificate. We need specifics. 
okay, I will, uh, next time I'm over at my parents' house, I'm supposed to go early next week, I will, I will ask to see it and I will, I will take a screen cap and I will enter the correct information and then see if it still says nonsense. But, uh, Shelly also said hers is broken. So, no, you know, no, no. you guys, no. I think that maybe you need to do some introspection because this is a science and you need to trust the science. It, <laughs> it says I'm a, it says I'm a poor communicator. No, no, no. No, no, no. What's, well, what's your, what's your communication bit? What, what? I don't what, know. What, what, what part of your chart tells you you're a poor communicator? Was it a Mercury that's the communication bit? Open I it up. I don't know. Oh, hold Just on. Just come on. Open it up. Open it up. Okay. Let's see. Co-star. Moon is your emotions. Your ascendant is the mask to the world. Mercury is how you communicate. Okay, what's your Mercury? Let's see. My Mercury is... I'm going to scroll down. Wait, how do you get to the... You go to your chart. There's like a bunch of options across the top, like chart. updates, chart. Saves. Okay, here we go. And you want to see what your Mercury is. Okay, Moon, Pisces, Ascendant, Scorpio, Mercury, and Capricorn. It says uh, it's in your. Th- it says it's in your third house, meaning you're curious about and inclined to analyze how you communicate, whether you really understand something. Dude, that's all the you. you. Don't know. Yeah, I guess that is true. But it said something different the other day. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Maybe your maybe your daily horoscope was like, oh, you're having trouble communicating with people today. But that's not who you are. That's just you having a bad day. Oh no, day it says Mercury. Sorry, it says in the it says in the paragraph above that your Mercury is in Capricorn, meaning your intellect is conservative, practical, serious, efficient, and rational, and you tend to be a poor communicator, but think through things in a methodical and grounded way. I'm like, that doesn't really sound like. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't think know. you're a poor communicator, but you are grounded and methodical and very rational in the way you communicate. I guess so. Okay. I, I don't know. Like maybe I need win. to get the right time. Okay. Maybe <laughs> I need to get the time and I will make the corrections and then I will get back to you on that. Okay. I see someone in the chat asking, what's the app? It's called CoStar. Everyone needs to get on CoStar. We can all be friends on CoStar and read each other's signs and see our compatibility. Get into it. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Keep the faith. Thanks Thank for you. indulging me. Will do. Bye. All right, let's go trolling in the muck. And by the muck, I mean the queue. How about Doom? Dumb Doom? Sorry, how do you pronounce your name? Hello? Are you with us, Doom? You're unmuted, but we can't hear anything. Hello? Hello, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Um, this is fantastic. Um, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for being here. What's on your mind tonight? So, yeah, I was just thinking that um, I don't want to get into anything too deep, but I wanted to talk about, like, why do we need a First Amendment? Mm-hmm. And also, I wanted to, like, encourage you um, to say that there are a lot of people who do a lot of the things that, you know, we don't talk about on this app, like they already do them, um, in America, you know, what do you mean? 
Well, you know, it's, it's something like they're really demonized in the media and, you know, they're associated with a lot of things. They're racialized too. Um, and I can't really, you know, it's not smart to talk about. Oh, we're phone, talking about like but Antifa? Okay. Mm-hmm. No, no. See, Antifa, I think, is more like associated with the establishment as much as you would think that they're not. I, and that's just from, you know, what my people tell me. But, um, and I, I think that um, these people, although they're, also associated with, you know, not being particularly like literate or things like that. Um, there, there are like ideologists amongst them and people who, you know, are like really reading things and being serious. And I just want to encourage you to read, you know, as much as it's like a tedious, laborious thing. Um, you know, German philosophers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Please, I'm sorry. No, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of. I mean, every, I appreciate you not wanting to be specific for reasons, but I'm having. I just want to be, make sure I'm following what you're saying. Is there some you know book gangs of people Is out there, there, like you know, um, acting in their in their own um, necessity. And uh, performing these these acts of redistribution and such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're saying what about them? There are these people out here who are kind of taking things into their own hands, and and you're. You, you well, yeah, and I mean, them? We, you think that you kind they of. Need... I mean, you yeah. dance around. Um, you know, the thought of like, we should, we should start to galvanize, we should start to, you know, talk to each other, get together, you know, and, and, you know, do some damage or something. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a wealth of literature and there, there are people, you know, in the act right now. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to put that forth as encouragement because I've never heard it on here, but I haven't listened to everything. You know, obviously there's a lot of things, you know, that could already be apparent to people that, you know, are devout listeners and everything. Yeah. Well, look, you, you put it out there and let's see what the people have to say. I appreciate you calling in. How do you pronounce I your name? I appreciate you. Um, dumb ho. Dumb ho. Nice to, nice to chat with you. Keep the faith. Good night. Good night. Uh, Mr. Flicker, what's on your mind tonight? Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind? Oh, awesome. Um, so I've been listening to you uh, since the, the, the very beginning, and I, uh, I, I've never called in, so I'm pretty nervous. Uh, don't be nervous. Also, oh, people wow. say that dumb ho is a troll. Sure, he can he be is. a troll. But I once got into a cab in New York, and the cab driver's name was... Fat ho, P H A T H O, and that was just a human being. So I'm not gonna make presumptions. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna be the person who was like making fun of somebody's name when sometimes names are just they are what they are. So go go ahead, uh, my friend. What's in your mind tonight? Yeah. 
That was I'll say that was pretty overly cryptic and uninteresting. <laughs> but I, I I wanted to ask you: Would you like me to start with accolades or substantive critique? Dealer's choice. Okay. Um, so let's start with substantive. I've 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 been listening to you since like the very beginning. I remember back when uh, um, I back in twenty twenty summer twenty twenty. I remember asking you if you knew anything about the fairness doctrine. And I remember that was back when it was Virgil was on the show um, and he was, you know, not muting himself when he was going to the bathroom and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember asking you guys, like, um, it, how familiar you were with the Fairness Doctrine. And it, it basically the, the short of it is it started in 1949 when they were um, giving out um, um, what uh, permits for for broadcast permits. Mm-hmm. and the Reagan administration turned it over in um, 1987, and there were basically two two rules, two uh, parts to the fairness doctrine. And one was that um, in order to have a broadcast license, you needed to um, uh, report on topics of public interest. And the second part was that you had to present opposing viewpoints to those topics of public interest. And um, I thought that it was interesting um, how that I, I think that was the beginning of when when Reagan repealed that that was the beginning of the um, things kind of becoming untethered analysis becoming untethered and people could just you know that was the birth of Fox News. Hmm. Um, yeah. So you know you're 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 saying that what that should be something that progressives focus on reinstating or just kind of as a historical analysis just. Pinpointing that I, as the kind of the beginning of the end. Well, I don't know. I, I think, I think that those were the rules for information gathering, at least what was presented to the public. And um, I, I, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you have a take on that. Like, could we reinstate the fairness doctrine? Could we? I mean, maybe that'd be a little bit more difficult with um, how democratized you know social media has become. But um, well, it's not all gone right i remember we had a case at a at my first law firm where there was a new york mayoral candidate new york city mayoral candidate who had a podcast or a radio show i guess it was and there was some issue about whether or not she was going to be able to keep it um because of you know because of the campaign rules about uh, equal time and campaigning sure but maybe that's limited it's more limited to a campaigning process um the campaign context now, as opposed to uh, generally speaking, I'm not sure. sure. All I did was count signatures. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just think you know, if if things are, um, you know, if 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 you're reporting on something that is of public interest, for me that says that there's some some semblance of structural critique where. Once that kind of disappeared, then it, everything just became more relational and. Um, oh, I see. I'm confusing. This, ne- this Wikipedia page just gathered me. The Wikipedia uh-huh. page says the fairness doctrine is not the same as the equal time rule, which is still in place, which is what I was talking about. So thank you, Wikipedia. Uh-huh. You read my mind and corrected me. I am corrected. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you're so you're telling me you're telling me, mister, that you don't think that um, Tucker Carlson's analysis of the heel height of the green M&M constitutes <laughs> Right. Uh, 
bring you got to bring in controversial matters of public interest. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, that's the thing is that now, now the the analysis doesn't need to be tethered to public interest. You know, that's why you just kind of have the, the vague, the vague pronoun they for, you know, anyone can just say they are doing this to you and they don't have to bring they on so they can defend themselves. You know, yeah, I mean, it might be a little bit difficult to get a, a hold of the green M&M. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know she stays booked and busy. <laughs> no, I'm obviously just having some fun. No, it's worth it's worth thinking about. Um, I, it, I, I guess I got to say I'm a little skeptical that if it were reinstated today, that it would mm-hmm. actually have an effect because these, these, these television personalities – podcast personalities and what have you have the ability to create public interest. And are we going to have a bunch of lawsuits about what it even means to qualify and given what the courts are, I can, I could see them having a very expansive definition of what qualifies. I mean, I think a lot of lawyers can make a lot of money on it. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of value. Yeah. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I I just figured I asked you that what almost three years ago, and uh, I think and I, I, just I, think I remember. I think I remember in. bringing up my law firm stuff before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I just you know I don't talk to too many people about it. It's kind of it's one of those things that like when you when you talk about combing through information, it would be nice if we had some rules for how to do that. Um, so it was used to challenge biased broadcasting. Bill Reuter. Assistant Secretary of Commerce in the Kennedy administration acknowledged that, quote, our massive strategy in the early 60s was to use the fairness doctrine to challenge and harass white right wing broadcasters and hope that the challenges would be so costly to them that they would be inhibited and decide it was too expensive to continue. Former Kennedy FCC staffer Martin Firestone wrote a a memo to the DNC on strategies to combat small rural radio stations unfriendly to Democrats, quote, the right wingers operate on a strictly cash, uh, cash basis. And it's for this reason that they are carried by so many small stations. For our efforts to be continued on a year-round basis, we would find that many of these stations would consider the broadcast of these programs bothersome and burdensome, especially if they were ultimately required to give us free airtime. It would stop, start dropping the programs from their broadcast schedule. Democratic Party operatives were deeply involved in the red line case since the blah, 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 blah. So that's, I mean, what I said about lawsuits apparently is true. The Democrats were just suing everybody knowing that they didn't have deep pockets and that the Republicans were using cash payments to small radio stations to get propagandistic news on there. And all they had to do was sue and it wasn't worth it for these stations to provide the equal airtime. So they were able to coerce them out of it. And I guess that's why uh, Ronald Reagan uh, put it into it. (laughs) It is interesting. It is interesting. And then here comes Rush Limbaugh. Exactly. Right at the same time. Fascinating. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for um, that little trip down historical memory lane. Yeah. Um, okay. So on to accolades. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I, I, I've this has been uh, such an edifying space uh, for me. I like listening to this usually the day after at work, so I haven't um, called in, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. This is I'm incredibly grateful for for everything that you bring to the public, and um, I wanted to ask yeah. you about art um in 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 the in the spirit of john lennon you know it's easy all you need is love it's everything is out there uh you know the answers are not complex there you can you can 
describe everything in plain speech. And it's, there's, there's nothing that's beyond anyone. I think everyone understands um, the basic, you know, tenets that everything we're living by. So I, I really appreciate you. And I, I if you, if you could um, give me your take on any, any art that really um, fills you up and brings you optimism and um, there's a, there's a, can I, can I give you a song recommendation? There's a really good song. Sure. Um, a whole new attitude by Ryan Scott. It's uh, it's a beautiful song about how we need a whole new attitude, and I just is is cliche as that sounds. It's weird. I, I you know I keep thinking about David Graeber and John Lennon and how the answers are easier than we think they are. They're within reach and they're right there. Oops, oops, ignore that, ignore that. Sorry, <laughs> that was a commercial playing. I was googling your song. My apologies. Mm-hmm. It's a new song. Can you hear that? Wait, it's not connected to the thing. Is that connected to the thing? It's not connected to the thing. Is this is this it? Ryan Scott topic? Ryan Scott, a whole new attitude is the name of the song. But is the um it's the here. It's from his new album. Cookies. Time it moves a little faster, seems like every single year. Yet peace is still a little farther away, why not make it a career? We need a whole new attitude. Gotta spread some information, show up who's in charge of this. Corruption lies in usurpation. Ah, the things they hold so dear. We got to fight a little faster and harder than before. So take your love, go get it located. This time flowers work for Whatever it is, we can work it out. You don't have to tell Thank you. That's a lovely vibe. I'm vibing. This feels very Beatlesy, yeah. 60s-ish. Yeah, it's it's coming back. I think. As Lennon would say, it's easy. It's right there. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, thank keep you for faith. Thank me. you for listening for so long. Thanks. We appreciate you. you. All right, you. Keep, keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right, Lysol, you're up. What's on your mind? I saw you had a lot of opinions in the chat. Hey, Bree. Howdy. So, uh, did you see Kashama Sawant's... Um, uh, announcement today i did i was able to talk to her yesterday and she will be a part of tomorrow's panel for monday's episode so stay tuned is socialist alternative her outfit or somebody she's working with she's a member and i believe the head of socialist alternative but you know they're trying to not be so hierarchical you know yeah yeah i've, I've i'm smelling a, a chris smalls collab honestly 
Well, we will we will be talking in more detail about what the next steps are for her um, for Monday's episode. So stay tuned. Awesome. Uh, the other news thing: um, the the people, the cops at Cops City shot somebody and killed him. I don't. I have. I've, I've been very negligent and not following this Cop City stuff. Um, I keep intending to maybe do an, an episode and get a guest, but what, what is what's going on? So the protester, so one cop is wounded, but he's doing okay, and a protester was killed. And the protesters are saying the cops came in and started shooting, and the one, the cop was shot by friendly fire. The uh, cops are saying that the protester shot first, which is you know, out of character for their entire protest. Um, and then okay, they, could okay. they could plant as much evidence as they want. So, so Cop City, Cop City is a proposed law enforcement training center in Atlanta. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna knock out like basically knock down a forest and put up a um, a fake town that cops could practice their like maneuvers with and stuff. Mm, tensions have been rising in the city over the proposed public safety training center, a sprawling stretch of eighty five acres of forested land in DeKalb County that will have a shooting range, <clears throat> excuse me, amphitheater, and a mock city that will be used for training. Opponents have called the center "cop city," and protesters have camped out in the area of the proposed site to decry construction. A multi-agency operation to clear out the area of the future facility was conducted Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Law enforcement located a man in a tent inside the woods who, quote, did not comply with verbal commands and shot a Georgia State Patrol trooper, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said in a new release. Wait, what? So it's it is a cop shot a cop. Yeah, the protesters say that they heard... Do you heard- see how that was worded? Law enforcement located a man in a tent who did not comply with verbal commands and shot Georgia State Patrol Trooper, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said in a news release. What do those things have to do with each other? They saw a guy in a tent, and so they shot one of their coworkers. That's a ridiculous sentence. Hey, is that guy over there not complying? Hey, you. Hey, you. Are you complying? Wait, wait. GBI Director Mike Register says the man opened fire without warning. What man? Your coworker? Your 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 fellow cop. This is insane. Wait, I'm this is I'm confused. This can't be what they're saying, right? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Wait, did the tent man have a gun and shoot anybody, or no? The protesters are saying no. The protesters are saying it's friendly fire. The way this is written is so confusing. Okay, okay, I'm saying this one more time. I'm so sorry. Law enforcement <laughs> located a man in a tent inside the woods who did not comply with verbal commands and shot a Georgia State Patrol trooper, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said in a news release. GBI Director Mike Register said the man opened fire without warning. Who? Other law enforcement officers returned fire, hitting the man who died at the scene. The man's identification is pending next of kin notification, officials said. A handgun and shell casings were located at the scene. Whose? The injured trooper was taken to a local hospital where he underwent surgery. The trooper was in ICU in stable condition and is on the road to recovery. The GBI is investigating the officer-involved shooting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking on Twitter now. Defend the the Twitter uh, handle Defend ATL Forest is like the group, and they had a statement. They're scrolling through there like a million um, solidarity protests announcements, but there's no body cam footage, no weapon, no no accountability. Okay, this uh, trash NBC article I'm reading says the group 
the 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 um the the defend Atlanta Forest Group said their sound their ground sources reported hearing twelve continuous rapid fire shots, not an exchange of gunfire. Quote, we know there is no history of protesters shooting firearms at police in this movement thus far, but there is a significant pattern of police acting jumpily, making verbal threats and pointing firearms at people they encounter in the woods, the statement said. That's your statement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wait, I'm sorry. So they the, the, the man in the tent was killed. Yeah. Was killed, and plus there was a friendly fire, and the cop got shot, but is in ICU in stable condition. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, and I mean, it's consistent with cops have been doing things like straight up, like cutting off the limbs that people's tree houses are based on, you know, cutting ropes out from under them while they're like climbing and shit. It's, um, yeah. That is rough. That is ridiculous. This is, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to get some attention because I think outside of RBN and maybe Democracy Now, I don't really hear much about it. All right, let's. Uh, I'll put this in the. I'll put this right now in the Slack for Rising Monday. I'm sure we'll have a really substantive conversation about it. <laughs> I gotta start making that stuff on on Rising. I'm mostly just on the bad faith stuff, but I have enough time at work. I can fit it. I'm sure. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I did mean to put this in the Slack earlier, actually, because, you know, sometimes sometimes i got to be honest with you guys. I won't put my brain on something unless I actually have to learn about it for work. Like, there's too much stuff, and I'm like, oh, well, if I want to learn about this, I'll make it for work, and then I'm killing two birds with one stone. Because <laughs> otherwise I'm just <laughs> learning for the sake of learning, and otherwise it's not home. good efficient use of my time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, I had some the free speech stuff. I'm. I don't know, man. I'm. I'm. I'm incredibly sympathetic to the Skokie, Illinois, ACLU kind of like. Mm-hmm. It's. It's. You know, I was talking to somebody recently about it. And it's like I don't know. Were they? Were they too naive, or are we too cynical? Because like I'm. You know, it's a principle, and so it shouldn't have changed. One of the two should be correct. It's not like a sliding, sliding scale type deal. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, like, I am also sympathetic to the Skokie perspective it's part of why i have so much um you know respect for glenn greenwald i think it's very difficult to hold that position when you aren't a nazi (laughs) racist and a bigot you know um and it is frustrating that there aren't more people on the left who are in that place, even the ACLU. There was something recently that they flipped on. Oh, it was, I think, the COVID stuff. Um, it was, ugh, it was, it was something like obvious that they, 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 like it was a very obvious ACLU principle and they flipped in the last two years and it really caused a lot of people to lose faith in the organization. Huh. Uh, remember they happened. did, they did a pivot after Charlottesville. I don't remember the COVID one though. Was it? Oh, maybe, maybe that was what it was. Yeah, they're um, basically. Look, we still yeah. believe this, but asterisk. And yeah. nope, that's that's why they yeah. call the free speech absolutists. It's a kind of an all or nothing deal. Uh, oh. Oh, apparently I was just googled. Like I just was looking on Twitter for things like Glenn said about the ACLU. Apparently, they also. 
They gave a kind of a little bit of a wishy-washy statement about Trump getting suspended from Twitter, I guess. That's not the worst. I mean, they said they didn't like it. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, uh, you're right. I should focus on the Cop City stuff. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Yeah, of course. And, um, yeah, and the free speech stuff. It's not tough. I mean, I'm not like I'm not shifting my position at all, but I am. I don't know. There are. I think it's naive to pretend that there aren't serious implications both ways. And I guess the reason that I'm still pro the American narrative, for that's what we're calling it, is that we're living in a world right now where, look, Republicans. I did say this in my radar on Wednesday. Republicans are using freedom uh, as an excuse to pass like 20 anti-trans laws in the last two weeks like you can pervert any principle to affect your agenda they're saying that it's parents rights and that you need to liberate your kids from liberal propaganda and that it's freedom to put cameras in college classrooms and surveil adults to make sure they're not teaching them crt at school and that it's you know freedom to make it illegal to have a um pride flag in a classroom you know, you can make any the case for anything, um, and I don't know. It, it's just worth it's just worth thinking about. That's all. Because on some level, I, I appreciate that we have the First Amendment because I can do a radar that says, "Hey, you guys, you said you liked these kinds of things, and I'm going to reframe all this stuff to, to my version of freedom." But if that's what we're doing, where everyone's just like throwing the ball back and forth and using it for their own purposes, does the ball even fucking mean anything anymore? I don't know. I just don't know. I'm having a cynical moment. I don't know. I mean, when, you know, I, I still feel like it's a direct reflection on the kind of like lessening truthiness of the the official narrative, you know, whether you hear it on Fox News or on MSNBC, I feel like it's kind of like bifurcated. And there's been this like, you know, if you use the internet correctly, you can find out news like it's really hard, but you can find some news in Ukraine that at least is giving you both sides and not just one side. If you go on Twitter and follow the right people, you can find information on COVID that you're never going to get from anywhere else. But there's also like an avalanche of bullshit at the same time. And while they say that they're attacking the bullshit, what they're doing is they're attacking the dissent. And we know this plays out that way every time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you been following this stuff? Erin, I think her name is Erin Reed. She's been on Rising. Um, she's been doing a good job of keeping track of all of this legislation. It's really a lot. Um, Mississippi bill to they they just passed um, a ban on gender affirming care for youth. Utah, I think, has two bans: one against gender affirming care. I'm not sure about the other one, I think, but those might not have passed yet. They're just up on the table. Were they the, were they the state that were, like, exempted cis, uh, cis breast implants? Yes. Also, that's the second Utah one, yes. I'm reading it here. Yeah. They, they rejected an amendment to ban breast implants for everyone, including cis teens. Just trans teens. It's just, I mean, for the record, because there was a really bad study going around about the about the damages of, you know, therapeutics that are going on with trans kids it's they're called puberty blockers for a reason if you stop taking them taking them you will go through puberty it's not stopping puberty it's delaying puberty it's giving somebody who might want to have a different kind of body a chance at that body before they become too masculine that suffered dysphoria and stuff it's literally a life-saving stuff and it's you know there are people that change their mind about it but it's kind of like the the percentage of people that regret that type of surgery is equal with people who regret any other kind of surgery 
it's not significant. Yeah, one of my favorites is this one that would it, the the drag bands. I think are just hilarious because who doesn't dress in drag? <laughs> are they going to be running around arresting like children in their Halloween costumes? Oh, your daughter dressed up as Captain Hook? Throw her in the gulag. <laughs> like, I mean, it reminds me of the, I mean, in the, I think it was the 50s in San Francisco, there was a leader called Jose Saria. And what one of the things he did is at the, at the bars that they would frequent, he would hand out all the, all the people in drag uh, a placard that said, I am a man. Because what they were getting them on was female impersonation, which was some sort of like identity fraud. So it's like mm-hmm. they, they, they pass these laws and they use them in the most sideways ways that have nothing to do with the intent. And that's why they should all be stricken down. Yeah. Well, look. Thanks for calling in, Lysol. I appreciate talking to you. Yeah, for sure. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Let's see. Who do we've got here? Slop, blop, 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 blop. Dominic, what's on your mind tonight? Oh, sorry. You were closer to the front of the line than I intended. My bad. Oh. I could have just gotten to you in the normal course of action. Oh. Anyway, what's on your mind? <laughs> I just want to say I love the episode today. Uh, I'm glad. And this- but I had like two things. Shoot. Uh, the guy from Jacobin. Mm. I don't remember his name. He didn't talk much. Bronco? I think so. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like he was like under the impression that our freedom of speech laws were related to voting laws. Why do you think that? Why do you, what, what gave you that impression? Because uh, you kept like saying like we have the freedom of speech so they can't just take away swaths of people's rights to vote when in fact the u.s does that all the time and that probably should be a a free speech thing the only time i remember him connecting speech to voting was when he was talking about um uh, political spinning as speech per citizens united and he was saying that he agrees that political speech is speech but that is a kind of uh, sorry that money and politics is speech but that it should be a kind of speech that you are allowed to constrain because it's pernicious but i don't i don't remember i guess i don't remember what you're describing okay because i just because i remember he was talking about like people losing the right to vote and how that doesn't happen often or well if if anybody else if anybody in the chat remembers um remembers what uh dominique is referring to fill us in see if we can clarify but was there anything else in your mind tonight dominic oh no but the uh, main point was like i kind of do think that we shouldn't have like freedom of speech carte blanche because like a lot of the stuff that you guys been talking about earlier with like the political stuff i mean i can understand where that becomes problematic but like real problematic things are like when pharmaceutical companies are just blasting out all sort of advertisement for medication that they can do because, you know, you can just kind of advertise what you really want. And like that sort of speech should be outlawed. And like speech for advertising, like certain food stuff should also be like outlawed speech. What do you mean? Advertising what? You're, you're, are you, is this an anti-seed oils pitch? No, I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, Pepsi, like, sugary foods, processed foods, really just food in general. Like, we have an overabundance of food, and, like, trying to advertise certain foods, it 
it's only going to like waste propping up like whoever can have the biggest company can just shell out every, the food to everybody and we're all eating the same things. That's a, that's a big, that's a big one. People limitations on a company's ability to advertise its product. There's going to be a lot of pushback on that one. Um, but like from the capitalists and, but mm-hmm. medication and food, these are like price inelastic demands. There's, there's no need to advertise for them. This is, this is an interesting concept. Them, them. So this is an interesting concept because I think that we all appreciate why there are limitations on advertising. Although I think there, there used to be more, I think, but something happened. Um, you know, there, we all know that all of the small print that they have to read in these, these uh, pharmaceutical advertisements, but in, in other parts of the world, you are not allowed to, you, you don't turn on the TV and get a million um, ads for colon pills and Viagra and things that they don't, the ones that are really bad, you know, it's bad when they don't tell you what the actual drug is for and you have to Google it because the way the people are talking in the commercial is so wild. And then you get hit with some real crazy shit (laughs) that that's not a thing that you get in other parts of the world. So, I mean, there's, again, there's definitely a a case to be made here. And if there's a case to be made here for pharmaceuticals, which ostensibly you shouldn't be getting without a doctor's prescription anyway. So why are you being advertised? You know, is there a case to be made for certain other kinds of foods? And also, uh, and if you watch a lot of Fox news, cause when I go home with my dad, he watches a ton of it, but mm. you'll see all of the medical device commercials, all of the medication commercials. And then on the next break, you'll see all of the commercials for lawsuits in class action lawsuits Mm -hmm. for some medication that they took that they were just selling on TV or some medical device that they had that they were just selling on TV. And as far as the food advertisement, most food advertisement is just chain food and monopoly and franchise food are big, big ag. And like, they should just not be allowed to advertise their monopolies more or less. I mean, you're not wrong about the food that advertises. I mean, you're not wrong. And that's an interesting thing to think about. And I have to interrogate why my, why my instinct was like, nah, we can't do that. When you're right, it's only fast food. I, I was going to be like, no, 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 the green giant. And then you said big ag. And I was like, yeah, that's correct. You know, Kellogg's stuff. It's not like, I mean, I guess maybe on local stations, you get an advertisement for local restaurants and stuff like that. That's like, I'm in Columbus. And if you listen to some of the local radio stations, they'll bring people in from around town. But like, but like, yeah, if you go, you do something like that, but like, nobody can compete with that. And then nobody locally can compete with McDonald's who's everywhere and Wendy's and every other chain. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's an interesting point, especially if you think about the way that ads are targeted to kids on morning news, on morning cartoon shows. And let me tell you, Cookie Crisp had a, had a grip on me and we were not allowed to have anything other than plain Cheerios or Raisin Bran. There was a there was a coup where we convinced my mom that kicks were healthy for a while. But those morning those morning cartoons had me feeling like I was the most oppressed child in the world. Because everyone else was somewhere eating cookie cookie crisp, 
and Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is not in my house. And now, and now we have a diabetes epidemic and obesity <laughs> epidemic in America. And we don't even think about where we're getting the sugar and all of that from or where we're getting the... And then when you really start to look, it's just exploitation of the South or slaves. Okay, look, I would I would like to see someone moot this. Someone set up a debate. Should food advertising along with pharmaceutical advertising be banned? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Somebody set that up. I need someone who can, can persuasively argue the other side of this. Dominic, I don't know if you want to be the fighter, but I want to hear this. <laughs> I, I want I want to okay. hear this. Tete a tete. All right. Thanks, Dominic. That was an interesting thought experience. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. All right. Keep the faith. All right. All right. All right. What have we got here? Hannah, what's on your mind tonight? You with us, Hannah? Yep. Hey. <clears throat> hey. Um, I want to talk about the should racism be illegal? Like, I don't think it should be illegal, but um, we kind of make already make it illegal. Like, we call people out all the time on the internet, and people lose their jobs for being racist. Is that the same thing as it being illegal? I mean, it's like it's not a it's not the same thing, but we naturally. Um, call it out well some people do and some people don't the fella the coach whose name i can never remember who was in the picture of the kids shouting at the black people integrating their school he didn't get fired well maybe you say it's Mm -hmm. too long ago okay i mean people get fired for all kinds of things that are not you know good for a company's image like dressing inappropriately or swearing a bunch or getting drunk at the company picnic is that is that is that is is drinking illegal no but i guess our drunkenness illegal sorry or i guess i shouldn't say we make it illegal we we naturally suppress it due to our morals the progressive i mean like the internet we call people out all the time but i mean i don't think it should be but yeah and there are cases where it is dangerous and someone's lives can't be lost due to a racist comment so it is a lot of folks on the right think that that sort of um rhetorical approach where a lot of times we will say well it's it's dangerous it's violence you know it causes harm they see that as a an escalation that like a, a way to escalate the stakes in a conversation so that we can win arguments when it is true to varying degrees. And so I, 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 I'm, I'm confronted with that counter argument all the time. So I just want to sit with that for a while if we can. But yeah, but we do it. I mean, like, no, no, no. I want to sit with space. this idea that we, we think that these instances of racism are actually perspective violence and that therefore they should be punished very harshly. Do we, do we think that's a, like a legitimate argument? Can we, can we give some examples? I mean, like, I mean, over time with speech, you know, maybe, I don't know, like in the workplace, you know, I don't know. Um, It just depends on the situation and it's relative to the people involved in the situation. But like, 
what I'm saying is we naturally suppress it. So I don't think it would be, I don't know. Anyway, it's already, we already suppress it. So it's like, but who's the we that's, that's a big difference, right? Because in a place of, in a workplace, there are all kinds of standards that have nothing to do with our constitutional standards or freedoms. Like you're in a, you're in a private corporation and now you're just, you got to do what you got to do. They can tell you what to wear. They can tell you what you can and cannot say. They can tell you where you have to be for certain times a day, how many times you go to a bathroom break. Well, I mean, if someone comes to my house or if I'm in public, you know, I will confront someone and shut it down. You know, I mean, then maybe it's just like in my little world of all these progressive people in my world. But like, um, yeah, I don't think. And the elite already suppress, like already do it to us also. You know, it's like it's not like I don't think much would change. So for something to be illegal means the power of the state is behind it, right? So mm-hmm. I see Rika in the chat saying, I'm surprised that people are having reluctance about racism being illegal. Well, let's try this, this counterfactual. Let's say it's illegal to be bigoted against a religious group. That also sounds pretty good, right? You shouldn't discriminate against someone because they're Muslim or Jewish or Catholic or Zoroastrian. You know, that's, that's one of our foundational principles right? Like it's a protected class. You know, you, yeah. you can't do that. But to make it illegal, okay, so it's illegal now. Maybe it won't change anything, right? Okay, well imagine a world where these conservatives say, you didn't allow me to read te- read my Bible at the beginning of my fourth grade class. So you violated the law. You discriminated against me and so you have to go to jail. Yeah, and or pay a fine. Could, I mean, my my worry is these things can get weaponized in different ways. Look at look at what all the conservatives are saying now. You're being racist against white people is what they're saying with all of this CRT stuff. Do we want a world where they say where Ron DeSantis says you taught my you taught but, this this class of eighth graders valid? <laughs> like that argument isn't valid that we're being racist against them. It's Who says? Fact. Sue says you want to empower the state to make that decision. And in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis says that teaching CRT is anti-white racism. Do we want criminal penalty? I'm, like, I'm being a little, a little absurdist here, but not that absurdist. This, this is what the concern is, right? This is why we end up in this laissez-faire place in America, because there's this kind of consciousness that these things can go either way. And this is what we were saying earlier about like how much are these rules really doing if they can be bent in all of these ways that they're being bent. But I'm saying it's not law, but it's already happening. What's already it's happening? It's already the, like, making it illegal. Like, or, like, abstractly, not um, literally law, but DeSantis. You can't learn black history. Yeah, you know? but you're also not going to go to jail for, for talking about CRT. You're not yeah, going to be forced but... to pay a fine for talking about CRT. It stays in the battle of ideas. The coerciveness of it is limited when there's not these kind of criminal penalties attached. Is it, is an argument someone can make? I'm just I'm just mooting it, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, and then also I want to make a comment on. It really bothers me when everyone's like, "There's no woman in the chat. There needs to be more women in the chat." 
it's always it's always a sausage fest but it's usually a little bit less bad than this but i'm just saying like as a woman i do what i want and sometimes i want to listen so if we don't want to participate we don't want to participate so just leave it alone you know like what's the big deal like just just be you're saying that i shouldn't i shouldn't try to call a woman in the chat no i'm saying just like how it's such a big deal that there's no woman in the chat it's not a big deal Okay, if you don't think it's a big deal, I don't. I'm I don't not, know that anybody was making a big deal out of it. I'm not talking like to you, but just like how it's always a thing every like every single time that there's. It's like you know everyone's concerned that no women are speaking, but it's like we do what we want. Yeah, I think I think that's fine. I mean, I I personally, especially depending on the subject, like the one we started with, would like to hear from women. I would like to hear yeah, from I, what women think about something like Andrew Tate and this conversation about masculinity. I like to hear, you know, I like to hear from a lot of different people. I like the racial diversity in the chat. I like the age diversity in the chat. No, you know, I, I, I like it. this. I like this app a lot because it exposes me to people that I might not ordinarily be talking to. And that includes uh, the ladies. But, you know, I agree. It's not, I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah. I've not been out of shape about it. Yeah, I just think it's kind of annoying. <laughs> To be All, right. All right. Well, I appreciate you getting in the chat and talking today, Hannah. All right. All right. Keep the faith. Michael, what's on your mind tonight? Hey. Yeah. Hey. All right. I got a couple topics I want to go over. Um, okay. One is the the bird app and some dissonance i'm having with some of the uh brazil uh stuff that's going on lately um okay. start with brazil because that's where your episode was today mm-hmm. and um so a co- the very first red flag i had with ocasio cortez was after this starts in venezuela by the way my point um was when Maduro was getting challenged by Juan Guaido, who everyone just decided was the president all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the, the Global South has been awesome because we've had so many socialists uh, winning down there. And it's it's getting, kind of been a beacon of hope for me, given some of the burning losses, uh, to see everything going on down there. And I was waiting for Ocasio-Cortez to... Uh, to pipe in in support of Maduro, but there was just silence, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that that didn't sit well with me. I expected her to to stand against, you know, the the fascist support that he, uh, that like Trump was giving at the time, and Bolsonaro, and and there were like forty nine countries that propped him up, and now we all know that Maduro's recognized, and they're they're dropping that in. Lula's recognizing Maduro. Well, that's cool. But so fast forward to this election, and I was really excited that uh, Lula won uh, after being imprisoned. Um, just seemed like classic fash stuff mm-hmm. with Bolsonaro. And, um, and then I see uh, Ocasio-Cortez uh talking how great he was and how great this was. I'm like, okay, good, good. But I, I was just wondering why I didn't hear that before. And then as I was seeing people congratulate is, is all the people 
speaking in and really people I don't respect speaking in favor of uh, of Lula, like Hillary Clinton was coming out, even Blinken, um, who never has anything good to say about anything ever that I've seen, is is praising the move. So I was wondering, um, what do you think was driving pro Lula sentiment versus uh, anti Maduro sentiment? I think that Bolsonaro was a proto-Trump for the American media and political class. And that once you associate Bolsonaro with Trump, you have to root against Bolsonaro. And when the 1-8 happened, they decided to choose it, make it an opportunity to drive home how crazy Trump was and how bad 1-6 was. And to do that, you have to root for the other guy. And Lula just happened to be the other guy. I don't actually think it was an authentic interest in or support of Lula for the reasons that you described, that you didn't hear any of the support or dis- for him or discussion about him while he was in jail, when he got out, when the interceptor was doing all of that uh, Operation Car Wash reporting, none of it. It was like radio silence. And so I just think that Lula right now is benefiting from being not – Bolsonaro, not Brazilian Trump. Okay, yeah, I like that too. That's that seemed like the most plausible. Although I was wondering if they'd sacrifice all of their, you know, capital in Bolsonaro, who's advancing, you know, so many corporate interests uh, just to prop up to, to make that uh, to conflate with our uh, our January sixth uh, incident. So yeah, okay, that's that makes sense to me too. Yeah. Okay, so the bird app. Um, I love it. You love it. It has problems. <laughs> um, and I wanted to bolster your faith in uh, somewhere you've been trying to go a lot recently, which is the hope that these Twitter files would expose bias towards uh, the left on Twitter. And people are saying, "Oh, we don't really see it," but I mean, we know it's we know it's there. Um, mm-hmm. And I have. I remember something that'll help. Uh, it's it's back from like 2016, but I think it'll help bolster an example of both incentive and and when this was happening, when there was a uh, left being kind of shut down. Um, so without relitigating too much in 2016, uh, we know that the thumb was on the scales in tons of areas. Like there were exit poll variances in every state but Oklahoma. Uh, they actually moved the California primary up to Super Tuesday in hopes of uh, Kamala Harris winning lol. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the Jared Beck said multiple defendants, um, multiple witnesses were dropping dead in the DNC fraud lawsuit, like pretty serious claims and accusations of Donna Brazil giving HRC the a debate question just across the board, thumb on the scales. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Bernie started around like 4% and won 46% of the vote, if I remember right. And a lot of that was bolstered by social media. And I think Twitter in particular, uh, what a very powerful piece of Twitter that was here then and isn't now is like a real trending section, like top 10 trends. And it's what, what people were actually talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, which was so powerful because they, it, the media couldn't tell you what people were interested in 
we were seeing what each other was interested in. So are we not getting, you're saying we don't have that anymore because our lists are so curated to ourselves? Is there no, there's no trending anymore? There's like trends for you. So little things you've talked about, you'll see trends, but I don't see, I don't see what I used to see then like a top 10. Yeah. I have what's happening and it's like very specific. Exactly. Exactly. But it's not, a whole nationwide thing. Although, I, think that's I don't incredibly... care about the Nets at the Suns. I don't know why it's showing me that. Why does it think yeah. I care about basketball? I don't know. The algorithm <laughs> is confused. Um, but before, it wasn't algorithm-based. It was just a pure, this is what people are talking about, which was so liberating, mm-hmm. I thought, at the mm-hmm. time. And, and within the context of Bernie, what, uh, there was one trend in particular, and there were a lot of anti-Hillary trends, a lot of pro-Bernie trends, some negative Bernie t- trends too, but the one that I remember the best was the trend of which Hillary. And it was uh, basically, which Hillary is it? The one that said this or the one the one that did this mm. or the one that's doing this now? And it was also kind of a pun um, because she wasn't that liked. Mm. Um, so th- <laughs> that, thing, that thing trended a long, long time. And it was, it, I, if I remember right, it was around Super Tuesday also. Um, and they took it down. They're like, nope. This is uh, mm-hmm. this is not happening anymore. And after they took it down, people understood what happened, and they changed the trend. They they changed the spelling on like which Hillary, and then that was trending for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's, I find it hard to believe that trends went away just for some other reason, given all the other thumbs thumbs on the scale and so many other things that, and given the likely uh, ascendance Bernie had was through social media that yeah. they just thought this can't happen again. And I'd love to yeah. see s- some data come out on that, like, like the, the history of why trends stopped and, and what, and if a call, if, if they ever had communication, Twitter did to stop showing these embarrassing Hillary trends, I have to think those exist. I, I, look, I, I know that the more we talk about this, the more that we sound like losers who are conspiratorial and sad that we're not like in the mix. But like, I am also very confident that that those things are true. You know, it seems like beyond obvious to me, and it is frustrating to me that we haven't heard more about that. Now, is it the most important thing in the world? Do I think that it is more important for Lee Fong to excavate some 2016 feuds than to report on CIA? fake accounts making it seem like regime change is a good idea in the Arab world. No, like I'm not mad at anybody for not having my particular pet project. However, I am mad at the broader right wing narrative that all of the powers that be are aligned against the right. Cause that's where the real people's movement is when that's bullshit. Um, and having this kind of selective lens on the stories that have come out of the Twitter files is creating that narrative. And I think that's a harmful narrative that's driving people right. And it's messed up. And so look, maybe it is the case. I said this to Glenn. Maybe it is the case that no leftist was ever suppressed. And that and like, we're all just fucking insane. And, and like, this is a big cope. Okay. If it's a cope, it's a cope. Great. We've never been suppressed. And it was just a magical happenstance that for two years after a solid 3000 and 10,000 person growth, Every year I've ever been on Twitter, every month I've every month I've ever been on Twitter, minimum 3000 new followers, like a drop of a dime. I didn't get a single new follower for two years. 
until this Elon Musk purchase. Maybe that just just happens. You know, maybe I just one day, literally one day from one day to the next became super unpopular. And and nobody gained or lose, nothing changed. And it's just stayed exactly like that for two years. Maybe that just happened. And I'm, I'm just delusional. So I, you know, I'm open to the possibility, but I suspect in the alternative that trending topic, we know, we know about people suppressing trending topics. We, we know about leftists kicked off the platform. You know, we, we know. So it's just frustrating that it's not coming out, but maybe, maybe, maybe in due time, maybe in due course. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, while we're on the subject of the bird app, just want to shout you out for retweeting me twice in the last month. Thank you. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what have you been tweeting about? What's your handle? Um, let's make a new deal. Um, I should probably, yeah, I should probably change. It's a, it's like a, a Bernie avatar with the Eagle and then like every, every Trump supporter did that too. And now I feel like I need a new idea. <laughs> well, you must've been saying some good stuff then, Michael. Power to you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. Thank you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right. Where to go next? Uh, Jam, what's on your mind tonight? Yo, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Awesome. How's your night been tonight? Okay. I'm a little tired. You might have noticed my late start. I was napping. (laughs) And I lost track of time. I you know continue what, to want to be napping. <laughs> you know what it'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> it was a long week. Thursdays kind of feel like the end of my week because there's no rising on Friday. Mm. Um, and even though I have a podcast to record tomorrow, like it's not till later in the day so I can sleep in. So let me tell you, I'm going to get off of this call, do my obligatory gym because we're not missing any days in 2023, shower, I'm and then go so into envious. a sleep that approximates death. And it's going to be glorious. I'm I'm so envious, envious of you being able to go to the gym. I got like a little foot injury and I can't be able to go in. Yeah, I've been training for um, a strongman competitions. So um, so I've been trying to hit it heavy, but I just got like a foot injury. So I'm, I'm sick about it. How do you train up. for a strongman competition? Like what's the goal? Like is it like a lifting goal? Oh, yeah, it's... it's Think of it like competitive lifting, but you also doing like other like athletic things. So it's like carrying like um like heavy uh, heavy weights up for like a certain distance, like throwing stuff and um yeah, just it's thinking of it like more like intense competitive um competitive lifting. Cool. It's just some pretty some pretty cool some pretty cool stuff. Like one of my favorite events is like the Hercules. Like they they go they go pretty pretty wild and make shit make shit look like cartoonish just a. Um, just show like the the feats of strength, but like it's just pretty cool to watch. Like one of my favorite events is like the Hercules hold, where they have like two huge pillars, and these dudes just like standing in, in like the middle, like holding them up and stuff. This is yeah. pretty cool. Jim, I have it on good authority from a certain um, leftist who is having some kind of moment right now on uh, Twitter that leftists can't outbench him. I'm not going to really? name names, but some of you probably know who I'm referring to. And he's saying that all of the all of the all of these people who are criticizing him are soy boys, and that uh, <laughs> no one can out muscle this man. And I want you to know, oh. Joy, that uh, uh, Jam, that one day we might call upon you 
to go toe to toe with this gentleman. Be there, be there easily. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm with all the shits, with all the smokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what's what's on your mind tonight? <laughs> um, like, like as always, this is good. You, this is a this is a provocative uh, episode. Like I like it was very provocative. You know, like with the title, like speaking on like the First Amendment. You know, saying like if we really if you really like need it or not, I do find myself to be in the camp of like the free speech, you know, like absolutism mm-hmm. where like, like, like the old school, you know, ACLU just, just for like, for like more so like self, like preservation, self-preservation shit. Like I just had been, had to go through like me and my, um, pretty much like the whole, uh, plant had to go through a, um, like a sensitivity, like training, right? Like harassment, like sensitivity, uh, training mm-hmm. where, where they're talking about um like like language and stuff that you can't use and everything and mm-hmm. bringing up and bringing up um I'm saying like certain like uh racial slurs and like even if you're a part of like the group like not being able to say not not to mm-hmm. be able like being able to say I and mean, just seeing how like how much pushback people were getting uh from it and not just like if you were saying it like to another person but you can get in trouble for like say like a, a bystander walking pa- past and hear it and they can be offended and then you can get like re- re- uh, repercussions you know um reper- repercussions done on you so like for situations you know like that's why i t- typically fall on like you know the free speech you know uh, abs- absolutism uh, like, i get i get some of the um some of like the concerns like with it of, of having of allowing like hate speech within our society but i, f- I feel like the I feel like the uh, the opposite of it, like not not being able to not having like free speech, uh, absolutism, absolutism is more negative than than um than good. I, I gotta say, I'm struggling a little bit with how many of everybody's examples tonight are from the workplace, which seems to me how we feel common. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I mean, I mean to interrupt. I mean, however we feel about it, like that does seem to me to be very much not in the. It's not really what we're talking about with mm-hmm. respect to free to, to free speech. Because, I mean, there is none in the workplace, no matter what mm-hmm. the Constitution says. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I mean, like, and frankly, you know, for a workplace, I can think of some pretty good reasons not to want to have people say certain words, even in group terms, because, you know, mm-hmm. people are jam like. I, there, there's a kind of black person that likes to sit the N word a lot in front of white people, and yeah. I'm like, you were tempting fate. And one of these white people is going to say it right back at you, and you're going to get mad. Right. And I'm going to be like, this isn't about me because you sat here and you said it a million times, and you know this person is ignorant as hell. You know uh-huh. this white person is ignorant as hell, and you're just you're you are setting some kind of sick trap that I want to be nothing. I don't want to be anywhere near this. So if it were my yeah. workplace, I would also say, please don't say that because mm-hmm. I am not trying to have to fire this white person and get into it over this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the people, people like bring up, but you know, like the workplace because it's like one of the only, it's one of the only spaces in people's like everyday lives where speech is actually, the speech is actually like policed. Mm-hmm. You know, since this is not, um, it's not typically like a police in, in, um, you know, in like American society, like I could say, pretty much say like whatever. I'm not worried about like the police come like knock down my door, you know, like for me saying uh, saying whatever I want to say, you know. But like in the workplace, that's where that's where most you know like common people have that experience of um, of speech being police. That's why I think it's a, it's a constant. We you know what that's how people relate to free speech. 
um, you know, because that's where that's where like that's that's where they can see the boundaries and where people push push against the boundaries is is within the workplace, given within a society where we don't have you know laws against speech of uh, you know at large. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the you're saying, what if the whole world felt like the workplace? Yeah, you that, have to that, watch your P's yeah, and Q's I'm, everywhere. I'm, yeah, I'm bringing that up. Yeah, I was bringing up the workplace. Yeah, just for that, like as an example, how that's already there, how we have it there, having that expanded into mm-hmm. more into like the more parts of our, our society and culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so like that that can get that can yeah. to me. I feel like it can get like you know like kind of, kind of like kind of slippy. Yeah, that's a good analogy, I think, because there have been workplaces where I felt like it was fair and I appreciated mm-hmm. that other you know the management brought down the hammer on people that were getting on my nerves. And there have been workplaces that I felt have been unfair and I was glad to be able to escape the workplace. And I think that's the problem with, again, this is why Americans, I think, like to default to the laissez-faireness of it all. Because you don't want to, you don't want, we don't like the idea of the person who decides. We don't like giving all this authority to someone who is making these decisions about our lives. We'd rather just play it by ear. Yeah, and the thing is too, because some like when it comes to speech, so much stuff can become subjective. Mm-hmm. You know, like what can be what some somebody might consider, you know, offensive or may consider um, consider um, like being like being racist and everything. Like how, like it's so it's so up to um, like interpretation, and like even right now, like in our culture, we don't we we haven't. We haven't really um, understood like how like to deal with stuff that's, that's left up like that. Like we can talk about like how me how the Me Too movement has kind of like I like, kind of like evolved. Like I don't I don't think it's fair to to um to like bunch up. Uh, what's the Indian's guy's name? Who was he was like on um, Parks? Oh, Aziz Ansari. Um, yeah, Aziz Ansari with like um Weinstein and stuff like how he was like linked up like mm-hmm. with all like with him and other people of his ilk. Mm-hmm. Like you know, but we don't have we don't. We don't really have um, like how, <laughs> old like, dude was pushing on a date you know? and it got yeah. full blown the racist the rapist it, treatment. Really, like it was like yo, and I was not read into like I just heard about like the situation yeah. uh, that you know he got me too. Then looked in the situation like it seemed like just like a weird date. I don't think it was like he's there like talking about him like this, but you know like we don't we don't really we're not really as a, as a culture right now we're not really um we don't really look at stuff like critically uh, mm-hmm. like you know we just all 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 or nothing. And so, in, in, in to have to have speech be have speech be um, policed in that way, I think I think it's dangerous. Yeah, I I think that I think those are all good points. What the earlier caller um, said, I'm sorry, the the woman with the bonnet uh, Hannah, profile believe, picture. Hannah was that her name? I believe. What, what Hannah was saying, I think. Um, oh no, I lost my train of thought. Is you're saying something like we um we kind of like police it already within culture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I I don't know. I get it, but there, uh, but it's a, it is like a very big difference. You know, yeah, it's like, a big difference. I mean, yeah. it's also the case that I mean, look, here's an argument. There's an argument that says if there were actually like laws and rules, mm-hmm. and let's pretend that we don't live in a carceral state and that the rules and punishments were very reasonable. There's mm-hmm. a world where having like some system to account for these kinds of social transgressions mm-hmm. makes it easier for us to process transgressions, have accountability and move on mm-hmm. in a way that we don't have now. So there's, there's a backlash to the me too, in part because I think that there was this recognition yeah. that like a lot of people have fucked up 
And what are we going to do with all these people? We can't outcast them all. And once they realize, oh, there's a lot of us who are getting to me too, we now have the social power to push back because you, you can't put us all away everywhere. We, we have enough allies we can push back. Because if, if also we're permanently banned, then there's no incentive for us to be contrite and to slink away or to try to rehabilitate. We might as yeah. well just fight back. Now, yeah, if there's a path, like yeah, if there's a, if there's a path to redemption and you can like do your time as it were, I mean, look at how we, how even the left talks about criminal, like people who've committed crimes and uh, have gotten out of jail mm-hmm. versus people who have me tooed, who have tra- oh, transgressed yeah. me too. I mean, like, we, we all understand like rehabilitation, restorative <laughs> justice, you're out. We got to get you into a job program. Oh, we want to make sure you have family support. Parole yeah. is so uh, <laughs> in- intense. It's setting you up for failure. Like we all get it. Like, cause we have this sense that like you did, yeah. you paid your time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a human being and we value you but without any like accountability mechanism i've been saying this now since the beginning of the me too mm-hmm. movement joe and i did our biggest episode ever of swody on this topic and talking about aziz ansari and all of this stuff which is mm-hmm. a very dicey thing to do back then by the way yeah um but like i have always felt that with the problem with me too is that we don't have a system in this country liz brunick talks about this mm-hmm. as a kind of um Catholic penance, sort of. We don't have a sense of what penance looks like outside of the criminal justice system. And maybe exactly. if we had that, I, again, I'm not advocating to expand the criminal justice system, but maybe if we had <laughs> something like that, because racism was actually legal and sexism was really illegal, mm-hmm. we'd be able to say, okay, Jeffrey Tubin, you, you, you took your licks, and now you get to come back on TV. Keep your dick in your pants this time. Yeah, me and, me and, my, me and my wife like, talk about that a lot, how we find it like so so weird and like crazy, how you know, we can have, we can, yeah, we can like think about like rehabilitating people, you know, who like, like did like a, a, a really violent crime, like murdering, you, mm-hmm. you know, or anything like that, you know, getting them out, understanding how, you know, like the criminal justice system is like corrupt and everything and understand like, yeah, like we can, we need to rehabilitate people like in terrorist society who do, like who do crimes and everything to have a function in society. But when it comes to like some of the more like cultural crimes, um, you know, like saying something like somebody saying something insensitive or like uh, somebody like being somebody being like homophobic like years ago or like having like being ra- having like racist views like years ago. Like we're not allowing like a space for people, you know, like to change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, like in, in that way, because I hate to be, you know, like judged, <laughs> you know, like how, by how I was like in my early 20s, you know, like by my mm-hmm. team, like my teens, like completely, completely, uh, completely different, completely right. different like person. If we had a system for penance in this country, mm-hmm. then Joanne Reed wouldn't have to lie about all her old homophobic blog exactly. posts. She'd <laughs> she, be like, she, she, look, she got hacked or some shit it like was that. the early odds. It was fucked up. I'm sorry. I was a bigot. I'm like really yeah. sorry. And we'd be like, you know what? I was there. It was a pretty whack time. <laughs> it was wild. And we can get through it together. You know? <laughs> she doesn't have to lie that the FBI is mm-hmm. investigating and act like a crazy person. This is for mm-hmm. in the best interest of everybody. Yeah, I don't know why it's like our, our culture has become so, you know, like, so like just all or nothing in, in like, in aspects of like everything. You know, it's everything's either completely good or like completely bad, like to the mainstream, you know, culture. It's like mm. you can't, it's either, either, either you really like something or you're like, you absolutely, like, absolutely hate it. Like there's no like, uh, like critical thought or, um, yeah, there's no like critical thought in it, like anything like anymore. It's just like I said, just, just all, all or nothing that leads to once I start to like into, like intermingling with other like cultural like aspects, like when, it, especially when we're talking about like laws and, and, um, and how, what do we deal with people that makes like a, a cultural like offenses, you know, like it, it, gets, it gets real messy. 
Yeah. So again, like, I mean, so I, I think that Hannah has an argument there for like why it could be a pressure relief valve if we had, you know, a kind of cr- like criminal, that's not, you know, I'm not actually saying I want this, but like a cr- criminal structure that helped people feel like people paid their dues when they transgressed. But I do think that we should think about what that looks like outside of the criminal justice. Yeah, I was about to ask, what do you think? What do you think, like, that would look like? Because I do think it would have to be something, like, socially and culturally, um, you know, like, dealt with. But, like, how do we get, what, what, what does it look like to you, you know, like, how, I, how would we um, rehabilitate somebody? I think there's some restorative justice models that are useful. I think that it's important, first and foremost, for the person victimized to feel, to, mm-hmm. to lead that conversation and to feel, to get what they need out of it. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, it you know it depends on the act. I do think that penance is not just like saying I'm sorry. It's taking some responsibility that involves doing something that you know that will change you and demonstrates. It's, it's a kind of a punishment, but not just in a punitive way. Not like it's going in the chokey or whatever. Um, but you know, whether it's community service, whether it's a certain amount of counseling, whether it's spending time with a you know a community, whether it's monetary. You know, you have to give some payment to the victim for pain and suffering. You know, it could be all different kinds of things. Um, but it's it's worth having a bigger conversation with restorative justice advocates about what it could look like. Mm-hmm. I think I always wanted to have, have Liz Brunig on the podcast to discuss, and we never really got to it. Yeah, and then she, that, just, she went off Twitter, good. and I kind of forgot about it until this moment. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely, like, definitely, like, agree with the idea. Of, I think it's weird, like, how we, in our um, criminal justice system, we don't really have a place for like the like the victims like of like crimes to really like have like say their piece or or to um give their input on what they think like the punishment should be mm-hmm. and, like cause not not always not not always where they the people um pick like the most punitive you know the most punitive mm-hmm. uh, like punishment and like mm-hmm. in response most most people can can be very um, like pretty reasonable in um you know like in, in, in aspects when they're trying to pick something like that for sure for sure. Yeah. All right, but, Jam. It's always a pleasure. Oh, before I go, I got to ask you one question. I've been asking all my friends. It's been wild to see the um, the, see the uh, responses. What's your favorite Disney movie? Okay, uh, <laughs> the answer that I like to give um, to to be like I'm not like all the other girls <laughs> <laughs> is Alice in Wonderland. Really? That's mm-hmm. the first one I've heard. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm not like all the other girls, Jim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because, so my brother played Tweedledum in his okay. fourth grade production of Alice Wonderland, and I was, you know, in the second grade, mm-hmm. and I was in my look up to my brother phase, and we, I memorized mm-hmm. all of the songs from the musical, and I, to the date, feel like it has some really underrated bops. Um, I can get that. and it just it has like a weird emotional place for me because of that. However, okay. ha- being a woman born in 1985, I am very partial to the little mermaid. Uh, that's my wife's favorite one. We, we, she literally walked down the aisle. It's a part of your world. Yeah. <laughs> that's very cute. And my favorite Disney song, even though it's not my favorite Disney movie, because I was a little too old for Pocahontas. Like I was like, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade. Like I wasn't like, like into it like that you know i was into mm. other grown grown people teenage things was <laughs> just around the river bend i think is a oh my God. early 30s bop 
<laughs> just around the river bend is like, oh yeah. shit, what am I doing with with my life? What I love most about rivers is you can't step in the same river That's twice. Like what too. That's why the water is always changing, always flowing. But people like us can't live like that. We all must pay the price to be yeah. safe. Feel is the chance of ever knowing. It's like it's like it's like a very middle, middle aged has some bops in it. Quarter life like, crisis uh, sort of a song. Should I choose the smoothest course? Steady as a beating drum. Should I marry Cockawoom? Yes, girl, he's hot. Is my dreaming at an end? You know, it's like very much a quarter life crisis vibe. I feel it. Like these white men are dangerous. I feel it. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely feel it. Right. I just, I just had, I had, I had to find out. Like, so I've been asking all my friends. It's been wild. It's been cool to see all everybody's different everybody's different um different answers to what's it. yours like, oh undoubtedly the hunchback of notre dame it is to me it's like one of disney's is it technically a disney movie yeah it's a disney it's one, it of, it's one of the original songs of uh, films in the 90s, that's so yeah. funny do you know that i don't think i've actually ever seen the hunchback of notre dame what? all the way through oh my god brie it's we rented so good it. I remember... of a watch now so oh. we had um in Kenya there wasn't like blockbuster obviously mm-hmm. but there was this kind of like ad oh, hoc man. movie rental place in this new mall it's not new anymore but at the time it was new and very modern and we all loved it we thought we were like living the best life oh, in this this movie <laughs> rental place the movies they they like had photocopy like print out black and white scans of what the front cover of the VHS tape would look like in these binders with laminated pages mm-hmm. and you would flip through the binders to pick movies. Okay. Just oh trying God. to set the scene for what this dynamic was. So we would go <laughs> as a family. Cause there wasn't like a lot on TV. There were like three channels or whatever. So as a mm-hmm. family, every Friday we would go to the village market, the small, and we would, we would each get to pick out basically a movie and we would all watch them together as a family over the course of the weekend. And I remember picking mm-hmm. out hunchback of Notre Dame. And I remember my brother and I were watching it. But halfway through, it just went blue, like because it was all like bootleg stuff. Uh, <laughs> so I never saw the end of the movie ever. Let me like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this because you haven't seen. It, I'm, I'm gonna get off. So I want to be like you know respectful for people's time. But Brie, like the Hunchback is like one of to me is like this, Disney's like most adult animated film, and I can't see them remaking it. And I hope that they don't. Quite literally, first like first five minutes of the movie is like a murder and like a dude saying dudes trying to like kill quasi as a baby <laughs> like you no know, saying saying literally, literally a line in the film saying i'm sending this demon back to hell oh like the, the film like the film like it, it's it's critical of the church it's critical like of group think and like it's it pushes it pushes against like social norms and everything and it's just some like the most beautiful like animation that that Disney has done. I just feel like, like it's oh, going to end poorly for Quasimodo and I'm not here for it. No, you need like it's it's it pushes against it pushes against a lot of like the old Disney like film film norms. You know like it's going it's going to make you sad and it's going to make you sit in that sadness for sad. a little bit but it's going to it's going to bring you up like it's, it's I want to talk about it's realistic. the uh, man with all the strength of the Quasimodo. <laughs> so, like even the songs are dark because they really it's more so realistic and everything but it's it's a beautiful it's still all all the way around like a beautiful film like the villain is a bit like the villain in hunchback 
is not he's not like any other like villain you know like you can you can make certain cases for like let's say um ursula and little mermaid like she was you know she was like making people she like was a baddie and shit. but but yes. you know like you knew what you was getting into you had to sign the contract and shit fuck with ursula you can make you can make a case for scar that he was trying to make a more uh egalitarian uh society by no, bringing fuck in scar, come on you can no, say it. Oh, yeah, he, he did King. He killed, he killed his brother, but you can say he tried to make, you can make the argument saying he tried to make more egalitarian society. I, I want to throw an honorable mention in for the Lion King. Sorry, but Quasimodo, yeah. yes. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, like, but Frodo is just Frodo. like, an, uh, he's just like a racist. Like he has all the power. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need to get any more power. You know, like he's not trying to achieve anything like, but like genocide, you know, like it's, 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 a, it's a good, I mean, it's, Scar was it's awesome. you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. You don't have to convince me. I have a friend who was on Swody for the first episode before we got in an argument, and uh, she was no longer (laughs) on Swody. But she always uh, calls everybody she doesn't like Frollo, and I I frankly forgot why she did it until you just said the guy's name was Frollo. She's she's very much a deep cut kind of a girl and is always making these references, and I just kind of let it pass over my head because I I never know what she's talking about. Her and the guy I was talking about at the beginning of this call, who's my Southern gentleman mm. friend, they've never met in real life, but we were all on this Swody thread of the five of us who were originally supposed to do that podcast. And then it dropped down to just me and Joe, mm. but she and Jeffrey are so oh shit. Sorry. I was supposed to say something. <laughs> 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 Whatever. <laughs> Ignore it. <laughs> She and the guy are like nonstop doing like trivia. They both love classic movies. It's just, mm. it's a delight to just witness. Um, but they've never yeah. met each other. But I know, I know a little bit about The Hunchback because it's one of her favorite movies. And uh, if it's one of her favorite movies, I'm sure it's very good. So I will watch it. It is. It is. Like, we go, we're going to have to talk more about it when, when we record our episode together for like, uh, for the, like the Black Film Show. Amen. I'm, oh, I'm, I see I'm people saying Goof Troop. Speaking oh, goofy movies films. about goofy movies, a good one. I've good never one. seen the goofy movie. Oh my god, Bree, you're breaking my heart, man. You don't know how to stand out. You don't know nothing <laughs> about Powerline. You can't I see it know. eye to eye. Like, come on, man. I I know that that's the the Swoody Swoody crew is all is all black <laughs> lawyers except for Joe, and mm. um they are all very upset with me for having not seen. The Goof Troop movie. Yeah, the Goof. See, you saying the Goof Troop movie? The Goof Troop is a TV show. It's a goofy movie. Goof Troop. (laughs) We're always there together. Yeah, that 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 was that that was it. But I'm I'm gonna get off. Like someone be uh, (laughs) 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 I'll talk to you later, Bree. Keep the faith. All right, have a good night, Jim. Keep the faith. (laughs) Good night. All right, Levi. What's on your mind? Hello. Are you with us, Levi? Can you unmute yourself? You gotta press the unmute. It's like a microphone, but also like an abstract tulip from the side, but also like maybe like a corn cob. I think it looks a lot like a corn cob. I don't know. Also like an egg and an egg cup. Oh, there you go. Did I just do it? You did it. Success, Levi. What's in your mind? Isn't that amazing? I was pressing it on the main uh, page. Um, I don't know. Um, I hadn't... I was listening. Um, I was thinking about Disney there, I suppose, for a second. Yeah. He's a a gypsy. I'm a gypsy. There you go. But I've never watched the Disney version. 
No. I like the um, old one, the Dealing uh, one from 1939 with Charles Lawton. I'm not familiar. That's a really good one. It's Charles Lawton, you know. So it's a really great performance. Um, and that's probably my favorite of the film versions. Anyway. Do you have a favorite where... Disney film? Uh, I'm not huge on Disney. I liked uh, 101 Dalmatians when I was a kid. Yeah. And Bambi and Dumbo. Oh, Ooh, God. I'm 47, so. Yeah, I'm but not, why are you acting like you're, you. you're, you're 47, so you only watch the Disney films from uh, the 1950s? I just stopped watching them when I got to, like, I don't know. 18 or 20 or something. I don't know. I didn't keep up with them. I didn't continue to watch them. But when I was young, they were on TV. But when um, movies were rentable, you know, once mm-hmm. I could, I worked in video stores and everything, I could rent mm-hmm. them. I haven't bothered to keep up with the Disney movies. But I'm not above them. I just uh, <laughs> I just haven't. Um, That's funny. But- it's, I think it's part of the, the degeneration of my generation that we continue to watch child things as we live in our parents' houses and never grow up. Well, I, I yeah, still, I, well, I've seen Frozen, I've seen Tangled, I've seen Brave, I've seen, you know. Oh, I think, is that a Disney one? I, I think, oh, I might be Pixar. I don't know. I think oh, I I might, might, one to, of these might be Pixar. To, no, no, I'm not, not you. I'm not correcting you. I'm thinking myself, um, there's one about training a dragon. I think I saw that. Oh, like, How to Train Disney? a Dragon. Is yeah, that, that was cute. Yeah. I watched that. That was cool. I, like I watch like every animated film that comes on Netflix. <laughs> like I think there's so, the Mitchells versus the Machines was probably the best movie I watched in 2021. Oh wow! I, yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't, they're they're I all good. Seen. They're not made for children. The the one about um Frankenstein, the Transylvania Hotel one. Uh huh. The first one was solid. They get a little <laughs> bit less good as you go on. Yeah, four, yeah. But... I haven't. I I tried to watch the new Monsters because it was by um Rob Zombie and mm-hmm. it was uh, horrifically bad. Uh, so I go about. I got further than I should. I think I got about 10, 15 minutes. But I don't usually quit on movies, but... Oh, it must have been bad, yeah, then. It was very bad, yeah. It was very mm-hmm. bad. Um, anyway, I wanted to say... It's the, you once called into the void for me before, and I, I didn't get to unmute on that occasion, and uh, I have listened the whole way from the beginning of your uh, podcast, and um, I was watching the uh, Bernie podcast for, for a while. Um, oh, you're a... An old head. You're uh, yeah. a, a true, a true, a true pod listener. I don't know. I believe there used to be a name for it. Yes, yes. An, an authentic true. faithful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I go back. It's um, it's it's been fun to follow you, and uh, I'm really glad. I guess like it's funny to hear everyone's diets, media diets. You know, I'm here, but um, I've always appreciated uh, Jimmy Dore personally as a working mm-hmm. class person that kind of working class voice and the ability to just call things as he sees them. I mean, I got like bored by the um, ivermectin and all of the, uh, you know, stuff going on with the, with the, um, you know, COVID mm-hmm. coverage. But, um, you know, I think he's on the whole been correct in a lot of the stuff that he said anyway. Yeah. Uh, I sure. love those, those, you know, it's very easy to do, but it just makes me happy to see those uh, videos of um i don't know fauci saying one thing and then another thing and then the other thing mm-hmm. it's just like yeah shout out to his editors too because it takes a lot of work to produce a show like that and yeah. i think he produces a very good show yeah yeah i mean he I, he's he's just uh i just i i like would i'm like annoyed by him because he's like such a strong personality but I, I also have like a, a deep affection for him in some way lasting one even though i think he's like um kind of 
definitely going after all his, you know, he cares about his platform. He's got a huge ego, but he's just also like solid as a, I just, the working class part really works for me. Um, yeah, but, I get that. You know, it, you, I have to say, when I first came to America, I've been here about 20 years. Mm -hmm. Listen to everyone discuss everything. I've just realized like uh, there's this bit from Chris Rock stand up where he says, don't hate anyone because I'll end up in your family. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I'm married to an American woman now. And uh, by before I came to America, I was like projecting onto America how terrible it was. You know, all the bad movies, the bombs, the burgers. I was like, look at that place. But, you know, you know I, uh, England sucked too. So I got out of England and came to America and, uh, you know. Now I'm married to an American, so don't don't uh, you can't you can't get too uppity about things. Chris well, I was about was to right. say, like I don't know that you're, I wasn't going to disagree with you about America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw somebody. There was like a tweet thread the other day about someone who has been um, living here for a few months. I forget where they were from, somewhere in Europe, and they were like. What the hell? Like, this place sucked. I was really looking forward to come here, coming here. But they were saying how, like, every interaction they had with the state was so difficult, was so unnecessarily complicated. Yes, yes, to get yes. a driver's license, to get health Everything. insurance, to get whatever it was. Like, it was just so, like, designed to be onerous and that it was exhausting to them. This is completely true. It's just, I feel like it's a trip, but it, uh, it's also totally an early, it, yeah, it's like being stuck in a Kafka-esque uh, phone tree, like, times a zillion mm -hmm. I mean, Eng England's falling apart at the moment so my mum and sister are coming and I'm looking forward to that but even mm. even as it crumbles it sort of um works even, or it doesn't work but you know the nurses are going on strike because they recognize it's not working and mm -hmm. Jeremy Corbyn is saying good things even though he's not in the position of power anymore and you've got Keir Starmer on the you know about probably going to come in after Rishi Sunak or something mm. not looking not looking great for England at the moment, but at least but it's still, but it's still at least you're not being gaslit. At least there's there's people around, and the yeah, and there's some yeah. labor movement, and there's like energy. Yeah. Yes. Here, here I needed. Um, I moved here and I started working at a, a bookstore in the Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, and thank God I found uh, Democracy Now at that time. I don't mm. I don't follow it anymore because it's it did drift into a kind of weird sort of like left version of like a MSNBC or something. Mm. So it started to annoy me. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if it's me or if it's them, but I think it's, I think it's them. I think I stayed where I was. People have said that people who <laughs> yeah. have had, a, I mean, I think I've heard uh, maybe, um, what's his, uh, Aaron Mate used to work at democracy. Yeah. Now, he did, I yeah. heard him make these yeah. criticisms. Yeah. I came over, it was 2002. So it was shock and awe. So I left England and we'd just been having big protests and it was, and then I was suddenly in the Midwest and it was on TV, shocking. It was on like pub, uh, you know, down at a pub or a, they'd have the sports bar or whatever. They'd have it on the TV mm -hmm. in the background and everyone's just sort of ignoring it. <laughs> and uh, there was this bar called Jenny's um, in the bottoms, in, you know, where those uh, two kids uh, that do the Vanguard show, mm -hmm. they're in the bottoms. I know where that is. I lived there down in the bottoms. Oh. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there was a there was a little like comedy club place there, and uh, I remember going on stage. Not, I just went. So I was going to the bathroom and I was drunk. I just came back and I sort <laughs> of was talking about the Patriot for a few moments and uh, just like un unloaded a few things. And it was it was cathartic at that moment. Mm. But um, makes me realise how long I've been here. And uh, you, we moved back to America at the same time. Yeah, I came back in two thousand and one. 
Yeah, good timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six months, six months to the day before nine eleven, I we returned to the United States of America. Yeah, it's uh, apartment on Thirty Eighth Street. I remember that time, and they were saying, "Oh, it's a new era," and I was thinking, "No, it isn't. It's just a, you know, it's just a airplane that went into buildings." But they were right again. I was wrong at that time. I, you know, it has become a new era. Um, in that time that I've been here, I had to go back to school because my wife's a, uh, she became a lawyer hmm. and uh, immigration lawyer. Hmm. So she, Good on her. Well done. But, yeah. So Very I difficult. Couldn't, yeah. yeah, yeah, I I couldn't stay um, uh, working at bookstores and video shops, you know, uh, if she was going to be a lawyer, so I had to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that's kind of hilarious. I I appreciate the self awareness there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I I sort of figured it it wouldn't wouldn't work long term if I I don't think that, and I'm correct because both the bookstore and the video stores have now you know subsequently closed. So it's that that thing that people say about um. What's the movie? Um, You've got mail. Is it You've yeah. got mail? Where the <laughs> the antagonist in that story is Barnes and Noble or whatever. Yeah, and she's against a small, a small bookstore. And now, if the movie were made, the protagonist would be Barnes and Noble against Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, I'm, I just wanted to like say yeah, thank you for being uh, a place where I could, it keep, helps me keep my center. And to listen to to listen to your show uh, over this duration of time, it's been very helpful for me. <laughs> and well, it's it's very it's very humbling, you know, to hear that from you. And I, um, I like I just really appreciate you and this community. And I, I'm glad we're all a part of it. And we can listen to each other and talk to each other because it is it can be very lonely here. Yes, in this, yes, in this country. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, sensibilities you, you uproot from one country to another country and it's like it's not like it's like you don't die you're a plant you're a plant that can be moved but um there are all these uh i guess um sympathies and uh like ways of being in the world that just uh, invisible tendrils that you mm. have set somewhere else and then you come mm. here and it's like yeah i mean the most obvious thing is going to kaiser or something i get so mad mm. every time i go to the doctors um sure it just it just they must have all sorts of crazy notes about the Englishmen, English people in general, I guess, or anyone that's got healthcare coming here. And- well, that's what's so crazy. Americans, they literally, we're so siloed and propagandized. And our situation is so bad that I think it has a psychological effect of making us think, well, there could be no alternative. Like, if there was an alternative, it wouldn't be this bad. And we don't know anybody else who's had it better. So we're all just, we all just sit with it. I remember during the Bernie campaign, we had this meeting with the um, Democrats Abroad Caucus who always voted for Bernie. Like, they always end up voting for Bernie. And part of the reason why is because, I mean, they're Democrats abroad. They have health care wherever they're living. And they're like, this yeah. is stupid and a no-brainer. And we – I think we might, might have had might – have, might have been a Hear the Burn episode with some of them. Or at least one, one Bernie staffer who talked about his experience living in – somewhere in Scandinavia. I don't remember now. And being issued a card – and then just like going into the hospital and at the end being like, okay, so what's the bill? And they're like, no, just leave, please. <laughs> and like yes. the brain warp that that caused him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I first, I mean, I was, I was terrible. I was like Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs when it came to tipping, you know, it's just, it just doesn't seem normal. <laughs> and it's like, I worked these jobs and I didn't get tips. Like, <laughs> you know, but, um, 
yeah, it was, it's weird. It's, it's weird in lots of ways. Um, yeah. I think the longer I'm here, uh, the stranger it's getting to be between, like, I used to think there's like a space on the, I'm just going to my doorstep because my wife's inside cooking and I'm, I'm rambling in front of her. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, um, what am I saying? Oh yeah, to be in America for a long time. Uh, the place in England where I'd sit with all my friends when I left, I was about 25, 26. We were, my house was a place where everyone would come over. Mm. We'd um, host sort of people over, coming over all the time. And uh, I just kind of thought to myself, like, as I left, like, oh, they're all still doing that. You know, it, obviously I was disabused mm. over time. It's not, yeah. it's not just a me-shaped hole on a sofa somewhere. They all went on with their lives and got older and got married and went different ways as well. Uh, but now I'm watching England crumble from afar. But I, st- mm. I feel much more uh, tied to it than I did when I was there. I, I have more respect for England in, in mm. retrospect. Yeah. Getting stuck over here. Yeah. People who've moved a lot, people, you know, who've immigrated and have no intention to ever return. It's, it is a, it is really something. I mean, it wasn't my experience quite right. I was from here to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I never imagined not that, you know, the family would come back. Yeah. But I remember... I, so I came back at the very end of 10th grade and met and befriended a girl who ended up moving to Kenya for her senior year, for our senior year. And it was once, once Facebook was invented a year or so later and we reconnected and I saw these pictures of her with my friends. Like I hated my high school <laughs> yeah. in New York. I loved my high school in Kenya. And I saw her hanging out with all of my friends going on my senior trip being cool in a way that I never was, but never mind. <laughs> and when we reconnected, she was like, I now, she was like, I now understand why you were so sad to be at Eunice. It rocks here. And I was like, thanks for confirming, I guess. But it was like such a punch in the gut. I was so mad. <laughs> oh, I was so mad to have to watch it all play out on social media like that. But yeah. you know, you're right. There is no Brianna shaped hole. On the on the senior class trip to um, you know an island off the coast, which was delightful and charming, instead of whatever my New York class trip, which was which was absolutely nothing. <laughs> my, my poor wife. Whenever she's come to English, she started to get a chip on her shoulder because she was like, the way you know the English people treat me, and it's it's funny. It's sort of true, I guess. There's this kind of strange. Um, pomposity over there um, mm-hmm. I don't know it's really funny well you have to have someone that you feel that's beneath you I guess I understand <laughs> the psychology but um, <laughs> yeah it's a weird one that relationship between England and America you come here I came as, as I say a gypsy a working class gypsy and it is I remember Michael Caine saying in, in, a, in an interview it's like uh, you know at home you, you're kind of in a certain class position you know mm-hmm. he's like much older and <laughs> but um you, you know, you come here and it suddenly sort of just disappears. And then you have to go through this whole strange thing where everyone projects like, oh, a certain type of Britishness onto you. Everyone thought incorrect. you were very posh. Yeah, they think it's some, well, something that I'm not. And it's, um, it's been, it was just an interesting experience. I, I think it's uh, been very interesting to, to, to go through a life uh, experience for 20 years now of uh mm. you know every time I, I i could be perceived as a visitor here still mm. um even though i've naturalized but uh but really um you know i've just lost my bearings i i think it's like i don't think it's me i think we've become disoriented uh 
pe people are disoriented in general. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's a weird ride. I keep thinking like about all the topics, the big topics that are getting addressed. And funny to think that you live at a time that could conceivably be like a dystopian <laughs> end of the world mm -hmm. scenario. It's yeah. like, it's weird. It's almost worse. I mean, this is a little melodramatic what I'm about to say. It's <laughs> I almost like worse. Always for that. <laughs> I did drama <laughs> when I was younger. Oh, did you? <laughs> I did. Uh, go on. Well, I'm just saying it's almost worse to think that maybe we're going through all of this and it's not. Yeah. It's I neither mean, revolutionary nor dystopian. It's just the same. Yeah. Yeah. My well, mom it's... says when we left the country in 92, she said it was because Clinton was elected and it felt just like when Biden got elected and she felt hopeless and there was nothing here for us and we left. Yeah. Yeah. That's been like, there has been, I've been politically homeless like my whole life, right? It coincides exactly with the neoliberal like period. Uh, the first like political thing that I can remember was uh, Margaret Thatcher taking away my milk at lunchtime. We used to have milk cartons and mm. they took away the milk program. And I was one of those token kids, you know, when you, you don't have money, enough money for food. So you, mm -hmm. have a, you get a token. So you have to go and line up in a hallway, sign your name and get a number, get this little token. And then mm. you go to the line. So you're behind everyone else and they know that you went to the token line and everything. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, it, it was, I really love all those sort of subsidies. Though. I kind of like the, I like that ye oldie, um, the vestiges of the sort of welfare state. Mm. And that sensibility of la the old labor sensibility in England, even mm. though it's been pulled pulled to shreds and pretty much annihilated in the in the period that I live in, I feel like the lived sort of the embodiment of that in all of the people is still there. There's yeah. a certain sort of um, like you just said earlier about America never really having a war on its own soil. So there's a sort of ontological security for Americans. Mm -hmm. I think we benefited in England from gang bond. Um, you know, I think that was a benefit mm. to be to have gone through the blitz and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a annoying kind of uh, patriotic kind of revisionist history version of it, but you know, like when people get into Churchill and you're like, yeah, but he did starve like I don't know millions of people on purpose, etc., etc. <laughs> you know, not, it's yeah, not there's, great. There's, <laughs> there's that. Yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird. It is weird. It is weird. This has been this has been nice. I've enjoyed talking to you, Levi. Is it oh, Levi? Yeah, it is Le Levi. Yeah, okay, Levi. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll let you go to your next caller and everything. I Thanks think for was... calling. Enjoy yeah. dinner. Tell your wife we said hi. Yeah, I just I go on and start rambling about myself, but there you go. No, it's it's been nice. That's what this 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 thing is for. Yeah, I figured I'd show up as a person, and then next time I can have a question about something. Um, <laughs> It's nice to meet a person, Levi. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Well, it was nice to meet you too. You take care. Take All keep right. it safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. I'm going to come to D. D's up. What's on your mind? Oh. Hey, can you hear me? Hey, D. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Yeah, so a couple things. One, um, I wanted to give give props to uh your Levi I think we can still hear you <laughs> sorry that happens sometimes no it's okay I just no I just Levi, if you can sorry Levi if you can mute yourself I'm not sure how to <laughs> Levi can't hear us 
Oh no. Okay, D, I'm gonna reject you and bring you back. Just get in the queue, okay? Hopefully, I'm hoping this will also boot Levi, who's like up under you. Did that work? No, that did not work. Okay, D. I'm gonna make you the next caller. From America, but I'm gonna see if we can boot Levi. Oh no, Levi! Levi, listen to us. We can still hear you. Levi, don't say your social security yeah, number. Levi! <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just talk loudly over Levi and hope that he doesn't uh, spill his family secrets as he's talking okay. in the background. <laughs> okay, so can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, so one, um, I wanted to talk about, like, the... I'm glad that you had Valshawn because I think the discourse around young men... Um, is oh, kind of really bad on the left and the idea that you can't help young uh, men without being toxic and stupid and I would say the same for um, the distinction people make between sort of pretending that you can't um, you can't reach out to rural voters um, but the thing I wanted to talk about real quick was uh, your, your podcast on Monday with Glenn the first thing I just wanted to say is that um, I think it was I, I think the one thing I, I think white leftists and I think people like Len need to really examine is why they consider foreign policy to really be the only sin. Like, because um, one of the things that Glenn has done is talk about the foreign policy and the Twitter files. And that's being a big deal breaker in terms of people like AOC. And then on Monday in particular, someone, the two people that Glenn endorsed, two of the people that Glenn's actually close to, have said pretty vile things about MLK. And I'm not associating Glenn with those people, but I just find it interesting that someone who is very good at calling other people out for associating people with um, problematic people in the foreign policy front is not critical of his own relationships with people who have said, forget forget the race conversation like we're having, outwardly white nationalistic things. It's like, I don't well, know. Let's interrogate is that. More... Is, 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 is he, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, rejecting people outright? Is he ostracizing people who have these bad foreign policy takes, or is he critical of their foreign policy take? He's critical of their foreign policy take, but he's critical of one of the, his big critiques of people who, for example, are leftist people on social media is at the end of the day, they support the Democratic Party. And I'm saying some of the people he's associated with, like, and I'm not even, I'm being very charitable because I'm not being like a cancel culture lefty. Like, one of the guys he's friendly with was literally like, yeah, MLK was not that great. He was a scumbag. And I'm like, I just think there's a real blind spot when it comes to people like him on on social issues. And it's why, Bree, I'm glad that people like you are actually talking about what DeSantis is doing um, with Black History in Florida because the social issues and the economic issues are just as important as um, the foreign policy issues. Yeah, I, I look, we talked about this. The only reason we didn't go into it so much in the last episode is because we did it with like two hours for Nathan Robinson. But like, I do think there's a, I think there's a difference in the energy that's brought to, you know, when someone transgresses in like a political realm versus when someone transgresses on a social realm. He spoke to this a little bit when he said, like, some of this stuff is, like, uh, cultural uh, – what was the – was it cultural issues that we were talking – he referred to it as or something else? Um, or identity politics issues, I think, is what he what he referred to him as. And I was like, well, what do we, what do we think is identity politics? Is it voting right identity politics? Is – 
is racism, you know, anti-Semitism are these identity politics issues when someone gets um, murdered at um, a Buffalo supermarket or at a mosque or at a synagogue? Like what, how are we, how are we, like, are we defining these out of relevance because it's convenient when these are actually very substantive things that can come each under these categories. And I think, you know, his argument would be, you know, this is what I heard him saying on the podcast that he's making a choice about who, what kind of audiences he can get in front of and who he can convince and what good he can do in picking and choosing his battles. And, you know, there's a part of me that relates to that. Obviously I've talked a lot about the work yeah. that I'm doing on rising. I do wish, and again, I don't listen to everything that Glenn says. So maybe I don't think it's necessarily, necessarily fair for me to judge it in its totality. But I, I know that I get to a tipping point occasionally where I have to be like, even on rising, like I broke down last week about one of those shooting cases with the young kids. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm sorry. I think this is racist. Like eventually they broke me. And I was like, I think that your opinion on this has to do with you not valuing the life of this black child. And you think he's going to grow up to be a thug or whatever anyway. And so you don't think it's a big deal that he got shot. It was worth it. His life is worth less than this car. And I don't think that you would think that if this was some, you know, kid that looked like uh, the lead character from, you know, the Casper nineties movie. <laughs> yeah super eight yeah yeah no no no. casper the friendly ghost that little oh, blonde okay. kid that was in all the movies i think he was also in um little giants whatever he okay, was the yeah. 90s heartthrob little blind kid not for me i like the little boy from angels in the outfield yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um that's something there. while it got quiet again in the background i just want to want levi to know that if he's still listening that his sound is coming through and that he should mute himself it's like a glitch in the app and this happens occasionally and we don't want to invade your privacy Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I just think that that's, I think that's the thing. And also, particularly when the ask increasingly, and I know this is kind of messy because you're, we're complaining public figures and we're complaining individuals, but it's interesting because one of the reasons I think this is so important is because people talked about with the full force the vote and, you know, oh, why does the right allow dissension and the left doesn't allow dissension? I think, honestly, the right, and this isn't all of the explanation, but maybe consider this explanation. The right knows that if someone, for example, is criticizing Mitt Romney from the right, someone who's critical of the Republican Party, like Matt Gaetz, Josh Hawley, whatever, whatever, there's an understanding that you're critical of the Demo- of the Rep- of the Republican Party, but you're still going to push back against what you see as cultural excesses on the left. Like you're still going to be obviously against abortion against what you mm-hmm. consider gay marriage, you know, from their perspective, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in the mind of voters and maybe even some politicians, it hurts them that the people that are pushing back against the Democratic Party are not as much people like you who are like, I'll talk about why AOC and Ilan Omar are unacceptable, and I'll do a pivot over here as to why police brutality and don't say gay are unacceptable. Like, you mm-hmm. don't see that as much. It's a lot of, I'm going to just focus on why Ilhan Omar and AOC sucks, and then Ron DeSantis is going to ban Black history, and I'm going to say nothing. And mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that that, maybe I'm not being fair, Brie, but I, I do think that that dynamic is something. Like, I, I think the left would have a lot, yeah. we'd have a lot more critical of a case if we were, Attacking AOC and all these people where they fall short, but also in large part pushing back against, you know, the right, because that's why a lot of normie Democrats, a lot of normie voters who don't like Democrats, frankly, voted for them because they're like, I don't want to fucking vote for these crazy people who are going to ban abortion. 
Yeah, look, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think it is dangerous for, look, I said this to Glenn. Like, I understand why people were mad at me when Tulsi left the Democratic Party. And then part of my radar, I said she needs to make it clear that the Republicans aren't good. Even though I was like, I completely support her leaving the Democratic Party. That's not my issue. I just wanted to be clear because we live in a two-party system. And the obvious implication is that with every criticism, you're basically advocating for the alternative. And look, liberals criticize me and they say that you don't make it clear enough that you don't like Donald Trump and you're courting this audience. I mean, I, I get a lot of the same stuff that Glenn Greenwald gets. Now, I think that I do push back against these cultural issues quite a bit. My radar today was all uh, substantively about all of these uh, anti-trans bills. Or was that the one yesterday? Yesterday. You know, I, I don't think that's a mystery how I feel about the CRT stuff or, you know, <laughs> racism. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Glenn has also taken a, a somewhat more conservative approach on some of these social issues with respect to some of these, even these LGBT issues, despite or maybe because, in fact, he's a part of that community. So, you know, I think he actually has substantive differences of opinion on some of this stuff is what it is. But then you uh, can't, if you're him, then, sorry to interrupt, but then yeah, if you're ahead. him, then, then you can't be, oh my God, why do people not think I'm on the left? Like you can't, you, my whole thing is you, you can't keep playing the game of, oh my God, why do people think I'm not on the left? Like if you never criticize the rights, I mean, I'm glad today he spoke out against Matt Walsh's disgusting tweet about adoption, but like, yeah. That's a pretty rare thing for him. And I'm not well, that's also very that. personal. I mean, he's a gay man with adopted kids. I mean, yeah. it, it, Matt Walsh, Walsh literally was targeting people exactly like Glenn Greenwald with that comment. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not saying you can't do that. I mean, like, I would say the models for what I'm talking about are people like Ben Dixon, people like the late Michael Brooks, people like Jordan Sheridan. Like, I'm someone who's very critical of the Democratic Party. But if you are on the left, by definition, I would hope that as much as you might dislike AOC, Ron DeSantis in 2024 is going to be, even if you're not voting against them, even if you want to vote for the Green Party candidate, by definition, I would hope that Ron DeSantis would be someone who you're like, oh my God, this guy, I might dislike AOC, but this guy's a monster. Like, Jesus Christ. He, you know, but sometimes it's like you get the sense that it's like people hate AOC and then it's like every time there's a, way to be, you know, particularly on the social issues, it's just not, I mean, you know, and the Pedro and Darren Beattie thing, I was really disappointed with Glenn, because like I said, these are not mainstream conservatives that are even Tucker. I mean, these are afraid out. I mean, Darren Beattie had a... Tw- Darren I don't Beattie know. I'm sorry. I don't know who either of those people Darren Beattie, um, They're people who Glenn's had on Rumble, and he's done podcasts with, and um, like, for, for context, Darren Beattie basically had a picture of South Africa in the 70s, and he's like, I wonder what's changed, and you know, Pedro Gonzalez said, you know, MLK was awful and justified Ahmaud Arbery being, you know, killed. And these are people that Glenn has praised. And, um, you know, it's just it's just concerning because it's been brought up and he's been like, well, I'm not responsible for who I invite. And it's like that's that's kind of a convenient standard, because when AOC went on Pod Save America, people were like, well, how could you share a room with these people? So. I don't know. I just think it's... Well, it was a little bit about what she said on Pod Save America. I don't think anybody would be mad if she went on Pod Save America and was like, you guys were assholes during the primary. They were. You guys aren't critical enough of Biden. Like, you know, 
yeah. for the record, I'd love to go on Pod Save America. I have a couple things to say. I get your point. But but, um, but I, I don't think that you're wrong necessarily either. I think that the same goes for Glenn. If you go on a right wing show, just you have to be willing to distinguish yourself from the from the the views there that you don't agree with. The same way that I think it was incumbent on AOC to distinguish herself from the Pod Save guys. And I think you can do so cordially and politely. You know, I have you know gone on with Megan Kelly. I've had Andrew Sullivan on my show. Et cetera, et cetera. We had we had a two hour plus debate with Nathan Robinson and Glenn Greenwald unpacking all of this stuff. Yeah, you know, you, you, you can you, do but it. To be fair to yourself, you did actually push back. Like you actually do push back, and and I, I don't know. I I, I think it's way more of to be honest. I I don't like making it. I don't like racially centralized. I do think it's kind of a white left leftist thing where the identity stuff is not really present. You know, like it's it's it's. You know, I mean, I, I and I feel the same thing about Taibi as well. I mean, in terms of like, you know, okay, if AOC, like, not thinking about, okay, I'm someone who's critical of AOC and I'm kind of collaborating with like a billionaire who made his, who's rich because of in part the apartheid, like, not seeing the irony of that. Like, this woman of color I'm critical of, okay. And then <laughs> the richest man in the world who's rich because of the apartheid and has questionable records with black employees I'm friendly with and I'm supposed to be someone who's pushing yak against the establishment. And then my Twitter files reporting is not really talking about how leftists of color or who are obviously censored like yourself and others. Like I'm just going to focus on the rich white guy, Trump and conservatives like that not being self-reflective. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, I, I do think so. Look, every interaction with the source or a guest, access journalism is always there. It's never not there. So I'm not bringing this up as like, oh, like you're doing an access journalism. You're corrupt like the way that people like throw around. Like this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying like in all instances, decisions are made about how to maintain relationships so that you can get the person to come on the show and do what needs to be done. Is there a world sometimes when I be when I want where I want to be like, goddamn Rokana, what the fuck are you talking about? Sure, but do I want him to be able to come back on the show again and go through another round of this and at least have one Congress member who's willing to be even remotely accountable for the things that happen? Yes. So we all we are all making these decisions all the time, and I my my read on the Twitter files is that there are plenty of people involved that don't think especially highly of Elon Musk. Listen to Matt Taibbi's recent gray, gray Zone interview, which is one of the longer interviews he's given on the, on the topic of the Twitter files, where he kind of tiptoes around the issue of Elon Musk's personality and the dynamic of this journalism, journalism, journalistic effort. It's clear that people are not necessarily thinking that he is like the easiest, coolest, most normal person ever. But I think that these files have journalistic value. I understand why Matt Taibbi would want to just like have access and keep reporting on this stuff instead of coming out and saying, yeah, I think that Elon Musk is a real dickwad. He's weighing the pros and cons and saying, well, I'll just keep my thoughts about Elon Musk to myself until all of this is over at least. And you can like judge that decision. But I think that's what's, I think that's, that's my read on what's 
kind of yeah, going on. Yeah. You know, you can't buy the way he had that feeling. Yeah, to you. That, and that makes sense. But just extend that sympathy if, if, if you know, like Bernie says, you know, in 20, extend that sympathy for others. Like if Bernie says, you know what, I, I you know, Biden's a piece of shit, proverbially, but you know what? He's the better threat against the same. Like extend the same olive branch to other people is is just. I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying to some of these other people. Like extend the same olive branch to 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 other people because some of the same people who are outraged when Democrats say, "Yeah, I hate Liz Cheney," but it's a good thing that a Republican speaking out against Trump or the same people will be like, "Tonight I'm on this far right guy who has awful views his channel because he said something good about Snowden." Like it just extend the same gratitude to people that you expect to be uh sent to you know that's that's that but but i'm i'm glad you had the episode with glenn and i hope that uh you know if you have him again you you or or anyone else of that variety any other white leftists i hope you're able to challenge them on some of these issues i will do my best thank you i will i will do my my darndest thank you d keep the faith all right Steve. Sorry, what the actual fuck? Are, are you saying oh. that? Sorry, we had a request for that sound effect, so I wanted to slip it in there. Wait, you had a. When I get on, you had to do that. <laughs> are you? Yeah, you've you've been avoiding me all night. You were so nice to me the last time. I've been avoiding okay. you all night. How's that? Oh, well, I don't know. What time is it? Where are we? It's it's it, long. It seems like you've been. I've been working from the front of the line down and it, we just got to you okay i i i, re, I retract my my statement Conflict. all right so what's on your mind tonight steve well law was on my mind when you started saying that the stream was about law um but uh also this book i'm reading which you probably have read and you may have interviewed the author um so the quote about law and i just oh the quote about law is the one, um, the law in its majestic grandeur forbids both the rich and the poor from sleeping under bridges, mm-hmm. Yeah, stealing yeah. bread. You, you get the point. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think we haven't been talking about the law is why why it's written who writes it um and the the fact that because the elites have captured the government it's it the law isn't the same and um we can talk about civil rights and voting rights you know the law is not the same for everyone which (laughs) we all know Mm -hmm. and uh the book i wanted to talk about is elite capture. Have you read that? Yes. Why have I read that? Who wrote that? I, yes. Ofumi. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I haven't read it. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't read it. No. Okay. I, I'm, I am amazed by it. Uh, how the powerful took over identity politics and everything else. And, um, yeah, I haven't read it cause I'm salty because that's supposed to be my book. So whatever. <laughs> Wait. It, look, yeah, yeah. This book is like written for you. It talks no, about, the- it's not written for me. I <laughs> started talking about all of this stuff and took a lot of personal risks doing so back in 2017, 
but I dried my feet and didn't write a book. Okay. So. Okay. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Okay. It has a lot of things I've heard you say in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, he wrote it, you know, good for him. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the point is that with the law, just like, um, cancel culture, identity, me too, mm-hmm. the Twitter verse, you know, um, the elites are always going to control. They're, they're always going to bend. They, they don't have absolute control because we fight back against them, but they're always going to bend everything to their desires. And for instance, like the uh, CIA ad with the Latinx lesbian mm-hmm. CIA agent, you know what I'm talking about? So it, yeah. So I would just like everyone to read this book. I yeah, I hear it's very good. Um, I, he's been on the podcast before. Yeah. Uh, he declined the last time I invited him on, but maybe he'll be willing to come back in the context of talking about his book. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, I, I think when we talk about the law and, and everything we talk about, um, we have to put it in the context of we're in a capitalist society the laws were written by and for the rich. And they're just kind of a set of suggestions for rich people, but they bind uh, the rest mm-hmm. of us. And that's, that, that's their control mechanism, um, as long as we're in this society. So uh, when people seem shocked and awed, like Bernie all the time, uh, now I'll get you mad at me, uh, Bernie goes on Twitter and it's an outrage, you know, uh, that, oh, they only pay 1%. Well, I always tweet back, what are you doing about it, Bernie? You're a U.S. senator. Are, are you having dinner with Joe fucking Biden tonight? I mean, what are you doing about the rich, Bernie? What are you doing about Medicare for all? You talk about it a lot. Everyone on the squad, all the progressives, Medicare for all. Tax the rich. Okay. Uh, what are you doing? Where, where's the, where's the, the, uh, 30-day fast on the steps of the Capitol? You know, you gotta, power concedes nothing without a struggle. It never has and it never will. Frederick Douglass. So we, it's almost like Twitter was invented by the devil so people can throw all their stuff out there. And not actually do anything. Mm. It's possible. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it can be a demotivating force for sure. Just, but I, no, I think that people saying organized can be a demotivating force. I think joining an organization, if it's not really action oriented, hypothetically a DSA can be a demotivating force. But also, all of those things I think can also be galvanizing forces. I don't, I don't know that they necessarily are one thing or the other. It's what we make of it. And it's up to us just to recognize what the gist is and make sure that we're not being accidentally demobilized or. Right. You know, no, I, no, I completely, endless cycles of, Oh, you gotta, no, oh, I, I don't, I don't disagree with it. But well, but it turned, it turned out. I know. Bree, I know you love Bernie. I loved Bernie. Everybody loved Bernie. It, it was, no, it turned out to be not a real thing. Um, 
But you're right. Uh, we can do campaigns. The young woman who was striking, uh, we can do stuff. There is stuff for us to do, but we got to do it and not just go to Twitter and, and, and get, um, donations by talking about what an outrage something is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, um, Steve. So I'm glad we got to you today. Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for all of you in line that I didn't get to Anthony. I feel like you've been in here a lot and I haven't like been getting to you. So I'm going to make a mental note of that and try to focus on you next time. Also, like I think Tomas, we haven't talked in a while. Felipe, you look like a new face. Nathan, Pedro, who I met on the street that time. I haven't spoken in a while. Sitka, there's another girl and a woman in the chat that I didn't call on my apologies. Omar, no, no work, Chris. We talk a lot, so I don't feel too bad about you. And Jose, I feel like we talk from time to time. But I'm just saying these names out loud. Mark, sorry, you're really getting shafted. I'm just saying these names so I can try to make a mental note of who to focus on next time. I also want to throw out to you guys that I'm considering only doing one of these a week. I know, I know. Don't be mad at me. But I have been thinking about reclaiming some of my evenings and I could I have the choice to like make them shorter or just do one. And I think that part of the charm of these is the pace that we set and our ability to really engage with each other human in a human way without rushing each other along. And there's a part of me that just doesn't want to make them shorter because I don't want to lose that energy. So let me know what you think. If I only do one, would you prefer it to be on Mondays or Thursdays? Um, or like it could be a whole other time, I guess. Um, and everybody gird your loins and psychologically prepare yourself. I'm going to miss it. But I think it's a thing that needs to be done. So let's think about it. Thank you again for a beautiful evening. And keep the faith. We got to fight a little faster. And harder 